Just Curious. Welcome to Just Curious Media. This is Let's Talk Cobra Kai. I'm Jason Connell. And I'm Sal Rodriguez. All right, Sal, we are back for another special episode. And I know we say that a lot, but this is a collection of four very special episodes, Sal, and I'm happy that we're at the third one. Yeah, and a a revisit, a comeback around. A a comeback around, yes. A a reach around. Hello. We are definitely going back in time and revisiting our version of The Karate Kid Part 3, 1989. Scene-by-scene breakdown, re-release. We are doing this. Because you want to have a certain uh, sequence of things. It is a sequence of things. Because I wanted to go back. It's been a long time since these episodes were on the podcast, right? So if a new fan or a avid fan wants to go back and like, oh, I want to hear the trilogy and the scene-by-scene breakdowns, you got to go hunting for them. Right. Yes, Karate Kid is the first one, first episode, but the other ones are sprinkled in. And so I wanted to go back, also talk about where we were in that space and time when we did these, because we did them all in different places, and put them in a row, like boom, 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 right in a row for people. And so we're not redoing it. We're actually taking the old content and putting, uh, you know, some window dressing on the beginning of it and then leading you in. Because our intros, Sal, are not even our intros now. There was no just curious. And I think on some of them early on, I'm doing no mercy. <laughs> so, yeah, now we kind of have a style. You do several hundred episodes together collectively for just curious. But we're definitely pushing the 150 mark. And uh, let's talk Cobra Kai territory. So you begin to get a style. So it's kind of fun. I also think our fans, if they haven't heard it in a while, hearing us then, I think it's fun. I wonder if we sound younger or you know, totally you know how like when you listen, like like you know, if we were to rewatch uh, season one, episode one through ten of Cobra Kai itself. Yeah. Oh, they look super uh, young. Everybody looks super. Young. I wonder if like do we sound young and when we did it in twenty twenty? Hey, Sam. What's up? <laughs> We're like chipmunks. Hi, hi, Jason. (laughs) No mercy. (laughs) Yeah, just speed it up. Just play it faster. (laughs) So I I haven't myself gone back and listened to the scene-by-scene breakdowns in quite some time. So this will be an opportunity for me and you as well to listen to these new episodes with this new content on the front of them and play them through. The content's great. No doubt about it. Now, maybe many years down the road, we could revisit the movies again and maybe do a director's commentary or even do a scene-by-scene breakdown again. I'm sure we would have some different takes. But this episode was originally, and it is still there. It's going to stay where it is. Episode 28. So that's how long ago it goes back, Sal. goes back a ways. We recorded it October 16, 2020. How about that? It feels like ages ago. Everybody remembers 2020. 2020. We re- How can we forget it? We released it October 28th, 2020. So I needed a little, you know, a few days, a couple weeks to turn it around. It's a big movie. The running time was two hours and 13 minutes and 20 seconds. Now, I don't know if we need the seconds. That episode's going to be longer because for padding it (laughs) this new this new intro is going to be on the top of that but the movie itself is an hour 52 so we extended past the movie because i had a lot of things to say about all valley 
in the Karate Kid Part 3. No doubt about it. I wasn't happy about that. That's well documented. Jason, I think you're going to be like one day in a, in a senior living facility. Hey, what, wow. Be like, <laughs> you mean like, be like 50 years from now? 50 years from now, you'll be in a senior living facility, and they'll be like, come on, Mr. Connor, we need to get you to bed. And you're like, that old valley, <laughs> they just changed the rules. Yeah, Karate Kid Part 3 is on TV somewhere, or someone has it yeah, on yeah, Netflix, yeah. and I'm uh, like... Classic television tonight. No, I have learned to love this movie. I appreciate the Karate Kid Part 3 even more now than when we did this episode. When we did this episode, I had only seen it, I think, two times, and then I did it once more for notes ever three times but i began to like look at it differently like wow you know they're at the enos house and yeah this whole intro it's really dark and and really fun to revisit so uh, there's so much richness in there now yeah there's some eye rolls so as mr miyagi and daniel dangle over the side of the cliff like they're repelling like okay i don't need that per se and the all valley was an afterthought and i think if we ever get ralph macchio on the show I think he's got some things to say about the Karate Kid 3 as well. It's not his fondest. Trust me on that. No, I think he's gone on record. In, yes, in, in, in he saying, has gone on record. Yeah, yeah. I think he has. Yeah. So, and But here's the but. The light at the end of the tunnel yes. is that today, after Cobra Kai Season 5, yep. has completely redeemed Karate Kid Part 3. Completely. Right, we have I mean, villains. We love, from the, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we love to hate Terry Silver. If it yep. weren't for Karate Kid Three, we wouldn't have Terry Silver today. There's so much good stuff in it. It's just, it's a great feeder for the show. It's great canon for the show, and the canon stops here. But maybe not if there's one Hillary Swank. But we'll save that for the next uh, revisit, if you will. Yeah. So yes. I'm gonna read now our synopsis, which is currently tied to this episode and will continue to be there, but I just like going back and revisiting this. So here it goes. Jason Connell and Sal Rodriguez break down the classic movie and talk about living next to Mr. Miyagi's Little Trees, Daniel becoming a Cobra Kai, and platonic relationships. We really covered it there. Now, the Mr. Miyagi's Little Tree reference is, I did live next to it, you know, decades later, and unbeknownst to me at the time, it's when I watched the movie again years later in 2020. I was like, wait a second. I lived in Mount Washington, Los Angeles, which is by Highland Park and Pasadena and, and Eagle Rock. And they filmed the scene, Little Trees, uh, Mr. Maggie's Little Trees. All that was in Highland Park and right by the railroad tracks. I know the area. It's changed. When I lived there, but that is it. Reservoir Dogs had some scenes nearby. Uh, Caddyshack filmed at a house right there as well. Danny Noonan's house. The rest of the movie was, I think, shot in Florida. But I love it now. Seeing that connection really bonded it to me. And then, of course, the next point, Daniel becoming a Cobra Kai. Sal, mind-blowing. Yeah. As much as we'd love to forget about that. Yeah. Let's get yeah, over it. Yeah, he did. He became a Cobra Kai was under the tutelage of one Terry Silver, the evil tutelage. Totally evil. The master plan, yep. make his knuckles bleed. Yeah, it was uh, tough to see. And then platonic relationships because Jessica and Daniel really, <laughs> really never, it was kind of clunky. No. Like, are they That made something? me laugh. You, they... you added that? <laughs> yeah. That makes me laugh. Makes me laugh. Well, because during the episode that we recorded, you talked about relationships like this. So I was, I, <laughs> yeah, I... we were talking about it. 
Well, you know, male-female platonic relationships are interesting. Yeah. They're interesting. There's a lot of controversy surrounding them. It's like you can't just be friends without people whispering and, and allegedly and, right. oh, they're probably doing this. Nobody just accepts the fact that a man and a woman, especially a young man, a young woman, can be friends. Well, I'm here to say that Daniel and Jessica were that. She was getting over an ex. She moved back to Ohio. But she introduced Daniel to Amanda. So there's your platonic relationship paying off. So there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Recent Cobra Kai completely legitimizing Karate Kid 3. Completely. I'm now going to read the synopsis from the movie, The Karate Kid Part 3. Ostracized villain John Kreese attempts to gain revenge on Daniel and Miyagi with the help of a Vietnam War comrade, the wealthy owner of a toxic waste disposal business. I love that Miyagi lost the mister there in the synopsis. He needs mister. Yeah, and I would have liked uh, Terry Silver to be mentioned. Yeah, by name. I completely agree. But it's better than, well, maybe not, but it's not a bad synopsis. I think when we read over the last two, it was like, ah, that's kind of off point. It's there. It's descriptive. So wait, does Terry Silver still have the toxic waste disposal (laughs) business or is he in another type of business? Remember we used to talk about he's probably in crypto now. Yeah, he's moved on. This is 89. This is the 80s. He still had that, you know, Borneo. He's making deals in the bathtub and the bubble bath with his assistant there when Mike Barnes comes in. There's so much goodness to go back and revisit now. Like, I'm so happy that the Karate Kid Part 3 exists. But there was a time that I thought, this is ridiculous. So it's only because Cobra Kai made it cool again. They could still fix all Valley. That's just something that, uh, <laughs> it's such a tacked on thing. What can thing. they do? Well, they could, what can they do you know today? What they could re release the Karate Kid Part 3 with an actual all Valley. It's, it's 15 more you know, minutes running time, but they fixed the problem. Anyway, that's that. So now, Sal. Just to give an homage and credit where credit's due, why don't you give us a rundown of who made The Karate Kid Part 3, the cast and crew. Director John G. Avildsen. Writer Robert Mark Kamen. Cinematographer Steve Iaconelli. Cast Ralph Macchio, Pat Morita, Robin Lively, Thomas Ian Griffith, Martin Cove, Sean Kanan. Composer Bill Conti. Producer, Jerry Weintraub. I feel like I'm an announcer for the Oscars. Yeah, you did great. <laughs> and the uh, Razzie goes to the Karate Kid Part 3. Now, that's an amazing cast. I mean, so many of them, the cinematographer was new, but everybody else, you know, well, okay, except for the newer cast, but the key players are coming over from the first two films. Now, we don't have William Zabka. I get it. And we have some new people in Thomas Ian Griffith and, of course, uh, Sean Kanan. But everyone else comes over and it's incredible. So I guess that's why even the clunkiness works because it has so much of these people, these players. Essentially, the story should have been refined a bit more. But great cast. And we've lost some of these people, some of the crew. We've lost Abelson. We've lost Pat Morita. And we've lost Jerry Weintraub, who kind of put a lot of this in motion. And so rest in peace to all of you greats. Uh, We wouldn't have uh, so many great movies without them. And uh, yeah, so I'm very fond. And I'm also very fond of our episode, our scene-by-scene breakdown, Sal. Really, I was reluctant. You were telling me like, hey, man, we got to do that third one. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. 
and then watching it again and we delved into it and it was something else. It's really good and we should probably go back and enjoy it again ourselves. I'm also reminded, Jason, that the scene in the movie when Martin Cove is walking as John Kreese, all dejected, oh, yeah. walking down the yep. street, uh, about to walk into the... The, uh, the dojo. Dojo. Yep. That's right over here. Right over there. I'm literally... You're right down the street I'm, from it. I'm maybe one mile. Maybe one mile. Can you do the like three quarters dejected crease walk? Can you just reenact He has that? like a bag. Does he have a bag? Yeah, he's just kind of... Didn't he have that sort of like a... Bill Bixby, remember the end of the Incredible Hulk, Bill Bixby hitchhiking at the end? He kind of had that look, sort of oh, like yeah. the the dejected wanderer look. Unshaven. The mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think like a military coat. Didn't he have a military jacket on? I don't know about a military. You're had- thinking of Rambo now. You're going into first blood Maybe, territory. I'm, I'm confusing. <laughs> I'm Isn't confusing he? Sebastian he's Stallone, right? And then Dennehy. Doesn't he have a knife? Brian Dennehy doesn't, pulls doesn't up. John Kreese <laughs> yeah. have a yeah, giant knife? Yeah, he's got a survival knife. knife. Yeah, yeah. Wrong movies. You got Cinemanesia's getting uh, crossed over. <laughs> well, I said this earlier on, and I'll end this episode with this. We were in different places. Not just in our lives, but I mean physically. Yeah. We did The Karate Kid, the original together in studio, which then we did the first two seasons of Cobra Kai. And then we were on a hiatus because there was no season three. And we were like, okay, well that show's on pause. And then a pandemic hits. And then our first post, well, in the midst of pandemic recording was the Karate Kid part two. We started to do remote recording. We solved all those riddles. And so we were both in Los Angeles, but just doing it remotely. And then I left Los Angeles, and this was our first one. Well, no, it wasn't, but it was our first scene-by-scene breakdown. I'm halfway across the country. I was in Oklahoma visiting family, and we did this episode there. And then we did the next credit. Well, we'll save that one. So we've always been in different places when we're doing the trilogy and the scene-by-scene breakdown. How about that? Interesting. Very interesting. It's almost like it was meant to be for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know how you read it. I don't know why it was meant to be, but... Yeah, I don't know why it was meant to be. It was like it was meant to be. It was. Well, you, I think, kind of uh, the whole remote podcasting yeah. thing. You like, I never would have considered that personally. Yeah, you really brought that into my life, and you've done a great job. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it forced me to think outside the box. You know, I don't want to take full credit, but all these new apps and opportunities like Zoom and Riverside and Ringer, all these companies were launching because people were going remote, not just for remote working, but remote podcasters. But yes, those tools are nice when you have just a random guest on and you want to make it easy for them. But when you're recording all the time, we record locally and we use those interfaces just to interact, right? And so it was really- Don't give away our trade secrets, But it's key and it allows us, it sounds like we're still in the same studio, but it's better because we have our own individual tracks. So kudos to us. But anyway, I hope our fans enjoy the revisit, re-release, delve back into our scene-by-scene breakdown of The Credit Kid Part 3 and the fact that they're going to be in order in April for you to do deep, deep dives and point things out. And hey, tell us how much you loved it, please. Jason, can people just do automatic, or when people are listening to their podcasts, in this instance, Let's Talk Cobra Kai, can they just like listen to an episode, leave it alone, and then the next one will start, auto start of the next episode? I know that you can do that with Apple Podcasts if you click that feature within your own app. You can control that. Yeah, you could just be like one to the next, to the next, to the next. Other times you got to okay, stop. So a person headphones. could just, yeah. 
A person could just like Karate Kid, Karate Kid Two, Karate Kid Three. Next Karate yep. Kid, just like one after the other, just nonstop. They could do it if they wanted to. <laughs> they could do. Why not? I like it. I, let's do a challenge. Who does it? Who can do it? I know one super fan abroad that could do it. Akito Khan eighty. That would be yeah, Akito Khan eighty. That would be an interesting challenge, like a TikTok challenge, yeah. or you know that the plank challenge. You know that they keep raising the bar on plank. There's like four hours, five hours, six hours. People are planking for five, six hours. Um, what if you like what? a most? Yeah, yeah I can do like five some, minutes. Uh, I'm good. You can do five minute plank. Yeah. Okay, I can only do two. I've only done. I two. can do five. Um, I can't do five. I'll try five though. I'll take that challenge. But you know, the, the whole point is that but <laughs> take it if you must. See how long you can listen to our show. Yeah, I like that. I like. I did every episode. They're gonna imitate us, emulate us. Well, anyway, Sal, we gotta wrap it up. Otherwise, we're gonna make this as long as the scene by scene breakdown. But thank you again. So, without further ado, please enjoy the Karate Kid Part Three. All right, Sal, here we are. Finally, 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 special episode of The Karate Kid Part 3. Yes, would you say that this is a trilogy? Would you, would you call at this point where we are, would you call this a trilogy? I believe so. Three films makes it a trilogy. Okay, so the fact that they go into the Hillary Swank and Jaden Smith world, we're not counting that yet. No, one's a remake, so that doesn't fall into trilogy oh, category. Yes, and yes, the fourth yes. movie, I'm not sure what that becomes because it wasn't a reenactment or a recreation because Mr. Miyagi did carry over. Hang on, Jason. Is Daniel LaRusso at all in the one with Hilary Swank? No, the next Karate Kid. No, he is not. In wow. Okay. All right. That's for a future special episode as we break down the next Karate Kid. Of course, you'll have to see the movie. Too, Sal. Oh, yes, for sure. But I'm excited to be here today for part three of the trilogy. And so, as we always do, we like to run down the synopsis and the IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes ratings and a few things before we jump into the heart of the podcast, the scene by scene, beat by beat breakdown of the entire film. So, here we go. So, the synopsis on IMDb goes as such. Ostracized villain John Kreese attempts to gain revenge on Daniel Miyagi with the help of a Vietnam War comrade, the wealthy owner of a toxic waste disposal business. And now here's the ratings. So The Karate Kid, the original, on IMDb, 7.2. The Karate Kid Part 2, 6.0. It's not looking good. Uh (laughs) It's a little tougher grade. I'm going to say 5.5. Not far off, 5.2. Whoa, nice. And now here are the Rotten Tomatoes. The Karate Kid, 88%. Bravo. The Karate Kid Part 2, 42%. What? Yeah, big drop. Okay, I'm going to say 35% based on that. 15%. What? Yeah, ouch. I've never heard of a movie. I think uh, Tommy Wiseau's The Room scores better, right? That is a rotten tomato. (laughs) All right, so moving along, we knew that this was not the strongest of the trilogy. Let's just call it what it is. Okay, look, I knew that, but I didn't read much about it in advance because I didn't want it to affect the way that I view the movie. I want to view the movie with a pure and clean mind. Absolutely. I know we went over this on the other special episodes, but this particular film, I saw it on HBO when I was 18, 19 years old. And I remember being very disappointed, loving the Karate Kid, 
enjoying the Karate Kid part two. And then just at the age that I'm like, wait, I'm just kind of over this right now. It really bugged me. After that, I'd never watch it again until last year I revisited it and thought, wow, there's some interesting things in there. So I've rewatched it since for this episode tonight, and I'm excited to talk about it, but it wasn't one that I saw all the time, could recite, knew all the ins and outs of, and I know you didn't have much familiarity with it either. No, you know, the truth is, when this movie came out, what was it, 89? Yeah. Yeah, I was running the streets. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not proud of it, but I was running the streets when this movie came out. But you had said on a previous episode that you had been going to one of your movie theaters there and seeing two movies at once sometimes, and your cinemanesia may kick in. Maybe you did see it and loved it. You know what? Now that you mentioned my cinemanesia, it is entirely possible I did see this movie, but I, yeah, I forgot. I forgot. I have no recollection. You were of Terry Silver <laughs> for Halloween once. <laughs> I have no memory of seeing this movie, whereas I have memories of Karate Kid 1 and 2. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. I was never Mike Barnes for Halloween. I'll just say that right now. All right. So the movie was released June 30th, 1989, Columbia Pictures. And I'll just give you the U.S. gross. I won't even make you guess, Sal. I won't even do that to you. $39 million, which in context, the first two movies made... I think over a hundred. So it was coming off the wave of the first two, which did very well. The first one came out in 84. The second one came out in 86. So three years later, here comes the trilogy. And it, you know, made some money, but not very good ratings, wasn't very well remembered. And then that was the end of this particular franchise with Daniel and Miyagi. What was the budget? Well, I usually have that information, Sal, and honestly, I could not find it on IMDb or IMDb Pro. So oh. I just had the gross, which was less than the other two movies. So I don't know. We'd be just guessing. If someone out there knows, feel free to contact us on social media. With all the numbers we do have at our disposal with the first two movies and with this information about the gross uh, sales, we can probably take a guess at what the budget was. I'd say 10 to $12 million. Okay. All right, I'll take it. So now we're jumping into who came back because a lot of trilogies work usually because they didn't just recast everybody or it was different director or different writer. No, that was not the case for this movie. You had Jerry Weintraub still producing, John G. Avildsen still directing, Robert Mark Kamen was the writer who had written all of the Karate Kids, Bill Conti composed it as he did the other two films. He composed it beautifully. And you had Pat Morita, Ralph Macchio, Randy Heller, Pat E. Johnson, and Martin Cove all come back to this movie. Now, one little tidbit also is the fact that it was nominated for five Razzie Awards. And Sal, I'm sure you know what a Razzie is. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, you could probably publicly accept a Razzie and, you know, do it tongue in cheek. But back then, right, I don't think it was an honor. No. And I don't want to glorify that either. We're huge fans of the franchise, obviously. And again, it's the weak link in the armor. And it's fine. It is what it is. But there's a lot more there to like than I realize. And that's what we're going to get into. But I figured I'd just throw it out there because it is factually accurate. And I got to hand it to Pat E. Johnson. To me, at this point, Pat E. Johnson is like a, a pillar with these movies. Absolutely. I mean, he only had a small role in the second one, as did Martin Cove. And Randy Heller wasn't even in the second movie. So it was nice to bring her back, albeit small role. Yes. And it was cool to see Johnson come back. And obviously, Sensei Kreese, always a pleasure to have him on the big screen. 
So anything else you want to get into, Sal, before we jump into the movie? Mm, no, we're going to get right into the montage of the first movie and the second movie that takes place in the third movie. It's a double feature montage in the third movie. So true. And we talked about this on The Karate Kid Part 2, how the movie starts with this montage, which at the time just blew me away seeing that again, going, man, Sal, I haven't seen that done very often except for Rocky Two. And some of the Rocky movies, they would show the fight that ended the movie prior and then they set the movie up that way, which I found to be interesting because Avildsen directed Rocky, won the Oscar. He also directed Rocky V. So he kind of had put that style in motion, which is interesting that this movie does it too. So true to form, we have a montage to start Karate Kid Part 3, which is great. You have Mr. Miyagi and Daniel LaRusso first meeting. You have trimming of the bonsais, the infamous headband, the Cobra Kai dojo, Miyagi meets Kreese, then the All-Valley Karate Championship. Sal, this is where all roads lead to in this particular film. And now we're at the All-Valley Karate Championship, Johnny vs. Daniel. And Sal, I heard something I had not heard or remembered until the viewing of this film. And that's when Kreese is cleaning Johnny's bloody nose you hear a fan yell, hey, Johnny, you're a cream puff. Did you ever hear that before? <laughs> no, no, I, I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> so good. It's there clear as day. Just listen to it. It's in the first movie. It was also in the second because the second had a montage from the first. So it's always been there, but it hit me this time and I cracked up because some extra just had a fun time with that. Or who knows? Maybe it was the director. I'm not sure, but I loved it. And then we get the crane kick. And that leads to the assault in the parking lot. Miyagi defeats Kreese. And then as that ends, then we start to kind of segue into the third movie. I don't know if you remember this, Sal, but Miyagi says his line to Daniel, a person with no forgiveness in heart, living worse punishment than death. And that was really nice to use that as the end point. And then what do we see as we... See the first glimpses of Karate Kid Part 3 non-montage. Well, that would be Kreese walking down the street alone, dejected. Right. This is when the non-montage portion begins. One thing I think is interesting right off the bat is how much the exterior of the dojo had changed in oh, just yeah. a few months, right? I mean, what, it's what, run down, what, isn't what it? What happened? What happened to this place? And by the way, that was Lancashire, right near the corner of Magnolia. You could see the Magnolia sign. I saw Magnolia. Absolutely. Yeah. I saw that. And the funny thing is, Chris is there alone, going into the dojo, and I, I really liked the exterior of the dojo as far as how much it, it had changed. Did you notice that, that little boy standing outside oh, yeah. the dojo? They make eye contact. See, this gives me greater appreciation, just like you mentioned the uh, the cream puff yell out at the tournament. Yeah. When you watch a movie more than once, you get these little nuggets that you miss. So I'm telling you, I have a greater appreciation for watching things again. I didn't live in L.A. at that point in time, but Sal, you could speak to it. I'm sure there were neighborhoods and areas that just looked a little more decayed. He comes in, there's mail that's been thrown through the chute, he's picking it up. He's just kind of checked out at this point in time. And Sal, I like the first thing we see when he gets in the dojo, besides the mail on the ground, was the classic Soldier of Fortune photo that we've seen so often in Cobra Kai and Karate Kid. And what does it say on that photo? Well, it says that he's the Army Karate Champion. And I got to tell you, for the first time, and this comes from multiple viewings, 
I had a problem with that photo. You know why? Because it says uh, U.S. Army karate champion, right? Right. But why isn't he in a gi? Why is he in his fatigues? It is weird that they slapped that on there. 1970 to 72 karate wow. champion. But I'm with you. It doesn't seem very accurate. It seemed like he would have been in a gi, absolutely. But it's a great photo, nonetheless, of him, of Martin Cove or Sensei Kreese. And then we have a phone call from Owl Valley, and who's on the recording? Now this, I was excited to hear it. It's Pat E. Johnson calling from the All Valley. And he says he's dropping Cobra Kai from membership rules or membership ranks. I couldn't tell what he, what he yeah, said. They haven't made any payments, so they, they're not in the next tournament. They hadn't really done anything else wrong. They just hadn't made any payments. All that mail is piled up. They've not been in touch with anybody since losing. I think Johnson even says, I'm sorry to hear you lost all of your students. Oh. So he heard about what happened in the parking lot. I mean, let's go back in time. Pat Johnson saw Sensei Kreese come out and how mad he was. He was right there when all that was taking place. And so they are out of the tournament. Wait a second, Jason. So you're telling me that uh, not paying your your dues, right, uh, gets you booted, but fighting in the parking lot doesn't. I'm not sure he saw exactly what happened, but he did hear the students left. He did see Kreese coming out, you know, barking at people and was like, oh, that guy. But I don't know if he continued to see what took place a couple minutes later. Okay. Yeah, because if All Valley saw that, him choking out Johnny and trying to kill him, you would think that Sensei Kreese would be ousted, but not necessarily Cobra Kai. But if he is Cobra Kai, then yes, that's a reason for expulsion. So Kreese looks down and out, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Hasn't done anything. Kind of like Johnny looked in Cobra Kai when he wasn't paying his bills. He was trying to get students there. All he had was Miguel. Very similar energy, dejectedness, drinking all the time. I mean, I'm sure Johnny was channeling some of that or not johnny himself but the show was channeling some of this crease dejectedness not to mention there's an answering machine message right after pat johnson uh from pacific bell i don't even know there's no more pacific bell in, in, in los angeles no. i don't think uh so yeah pacific bell threatening to disconnect the phone line and then to add insult to injury what was he he sees a newspaper clipping of of daniel in the newspaper oh, <laughs> oh god yeah that is so great it says Mystery Dojo with single student defangs Cobra Kai. Wow. And there's a photo of Machio, and I believe Miyagi was on it. And so, Sal, I zoomed in to read some of the text because I was like, how accurate were they in the story? Great headline. And this is the next sentence. Residents feel that they have been taken advantage of ever since the tax laws governing their additional land holdings were reviewed and increased. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was some yeah. old text, some old article, and they just said, ah, leave it. No one's going to see that. So mm. they didn't really write a great article. I was no. disappointed by that. Sentence. No, no, no. I, 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 you know, now I, I would expect them to write an entire article. Back then, you know, exactly. it was a different era. You, 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 I guess you got to let a lot of stuff uh, uh, roll. You know, it was like, well, in, in, in 89... A lot of these plot lines, they did the same thing. But we'll get into that. No, but I believe in writing a, a full-on full on article. The only thing about the big screen and then the little screen. Yeah. And on the big screen, it, you probably couldn't see it, but I'm, sure. you know, on a monitor, I zoomed in. I was like, what the... They didn't expect it to go on all these other devices. So now we're at Frank Lloyd Wright's infamous Enos house, oh. which is just, it's stunning, Sal. I mean, you've seen it in Blade Runner. It's the Mayan revival home. It's just gorgeous. And I have gone on hikes at Griffith Park 
right there by it at the foot of it. So you can get really close and it's just such an impressive sight. So props on location. Well done to make this Terry Silver's home played by Thomas Ian Griffith. So Cree shows up at the doorstep of this gorgeous house, and what happens? Sam? Yeah, this house is a is a fortress. When you see it from the outside, I mean, it looks it's one of these places that says, "Don't come anywhere near here." It reeks of power, and Crease is let in by a butler, an actual yes. an actual butler. Who who has a butler? Terry Silver has a butler, <laughs> and Crease calls him the boss. Yeah. Yeah. And and what is Terry Silver doing? What what does he happen to be doing when Crease arrives? Is that is that a coincidence? Do you think he knew Crease was coming? No, that's who Terry Silver is. He's practicing karate, taking out two guys, two pupils, he's sparring. He's actually quite good at martial arts. I would give him total credit. He's super tall, he's lanky, his kicks are fabulous. And boom, there's Crease. And what's he say? He says you're telegraphing that wheel kick. Because let me tell you something. Thomas Ian Griffith is delivering yes. some great kicks. And as it turns out, he has a background in Taekwondo. He has a fantastic martial artist. He has great moves. And how about these guys that he's sparring with? They, what, they just get, get paid to get their ass kicked is what's happening here. Well, when you have money like Terry Silver, he kind of reminds me of a akin to Steven Seagal. Oh, yeah. It's got the hair, the look. I'm sure they were casting for Steven Seagal-esque is what they were going for. Although this came out when Seagal was, I guess he had made his first movie by then, Above the Law. But that was definitely the look they were going for, and he nailed that. And he has been quoted as saying, he's not an actor who got into martial arts. He is a martial artist who became an actor. Right. And so is Seagal. Oh, yeah. To be fair. Yeah, yes, definitely. That moment when Terry first sees Crease. And we see what I believe is the only genuine smile with affection. That is the only moment we will see Terry Silver be a real person <laughs> in that moment. When he's like, Johnny! Yep, yep, right there. And we learn that he's into nuclear waste. And I love that he has this line that, I'm lucky I make one deal a year without getting indicted. So this guy has done some shady things. It's paid off. And he's just a diabolical guy. And I don't even know what motivates him, but power and greed, as you just said, absolutely do. Jason, did you notice Terry's ghee? It was not cotton. It was like a polyester ghee. Yeah, it looks sharp on him. Is that something martial artists wear as a polyester ghee? I've only seen the cotton ones. Yeah, I'm not sure. Terry Silver had a special ghee made for him. And we also learned that he bought Cobra Kai for Kreese, who saved his life more than a few times in the war. I never knew that. Wow, okay. No mention of him in the first two movies. And no representation of him at the All Valley in which Daniel best Johnny. Yeah, so really Terry Silver is such a pivotal character in this movie, but he did come out of nowhere. Yeah. I guess we're supposed to believe he was there the whole time, making deals, pulling the strings, funding Crease and Cobra Kai. But hey, now here he really is. So, okay, much like a lot of things in this movie, there's some eye rolls, there's some over-the-top acting, and yeah, Terry Silver is a big part of that. But this shows how close they are because not only do they have this history of both serving in Nam, Crease opens up, vulnerable, says to Terry, I'm broke and I'm going nowhere. And what does Terry say? Talk about a great friend. 
how many friends will tell you this? You're wrong. You're going to Tahiti. And he sends Crease right. on an all-expense-paid trip to Tahiti. Amazing. Yeah, Crease shows up to say, here's the keys. I'm done. I'll get you the back rent later. You know, he's dejected. He's pulling a Johnny from Cobra Kai, season two, episode 10. He's out. But unlike Johnny, Crease has a super rich friend. And yes, he sends him to Tahiti. He needs to get his batteries recharged. Terry's going to move Crease's problems, which is Miyagi and losing the students and everything else, up to his number one thing to focus on because that guy has time for it. What a pal indeed. So they're off to LAX. And I like this scene where he's dropping him off, and I think he's driving a Rolls Royce, and he's dropping him off. Am I right on that, Sam? Well, specifically a 1978 convertible Rolls Royce. I believe it would be pronounced Corniche because it's C-O-R-N-I-C-H-E, Corniche. So I think it's a Rolls Royce Corniche. Very good looking car. And as he's dropping Crease off, who do we see just come right out the doors just a moment later? As Crease is walking into the airport, Daniel and Mr. Miyagi are walking out. I mean, I don't know how they didn't see each other having just come back from Okinawa. Mm-hmm. It might have been hilarious had they had an encounter right there in front of LAX. That would have been outstanding. There would have been no movie. That would have been it. So now we cut to the South Seas, and it's under construction. And we also learn what, Sal? Well, one thing that jumped out at me, having grown up in Los Angeles, specifically the San Fernando Valley, we hear Power 106 J. Thomas, DJ. And what I was uncertain of is... Was that someone actually playing his voice from their car? Or was that part of the soundtrack of the movie? I don't know. I'm not sure. As they pulled up in the taxi, Miyagi and Daniel took a cab to South Seas. Could have been that. But we learned, though, that it has been sold, which was news to me because I thought, well, maybe there's this chance that Miyagi owns it, Mm. and that way he could afford the life that he has, the house he has, the cars he has. But... Turns out it was just a job because the old lady from South Seas comes out and she's going on and on about, didn't I tell you he's going to sell the place? He's going to do this. And Miyagi's shaking his head. So we've learned that Miyagi's now out of a job and he's been overseas for the last month or so. And it took a bigger financial crunch than I ever realized. Well, that is one thing that I, I definitely was thinking a lot throughout this movie actually was... I, I want to see a timeline. How long were they in Okinawa? That I'd like to know because they came back and they're turning their apartment into the, the Reseda Hills condominiums. Yeah, I would say they were there for a month, maybe two. Wow. I mean, they weren't there that long and Sato was ready to fight, like three yes. days. And that, that whole thing was playing out in like a week. But you assume that they stayed because things had really lightened and it was a good environment. And we also learn a few beats from now that he helped build Yukie a home and helped fund that. So that really cost Miyagi some money. So I'd say, you know, months, maybe two. I'm just guessing. Well, there's literally no regard for safety. We're talking like debris falling off the roof as they're talking to their neighbor there at the sidewalk and she's filling them in on on what's going on. And I I, I think I I was just kind of flabbergasted that they came back to this. And I was too. It's sad to see. But you and I both can tell the audience that the South Seas, which I used to call the Seven Seas, is alive and well on Reseda. It's perfect, untouched. It may have been bought and sold a few times, but it looks exactly the same. So that's the best news about it. It's not gone like Mr. Miyagi's house. 
that I'm sad to say was demolished. So it's kind of a sad scene. Miyagi's taking out the trees because he had the little workshop there. It's where him and Daniel met. But he's on the phone with Daniel's mother telling her that the room is finished and that Daniel can stay there, no problem. But however, that brings this up, Sal. In Karate Kid 2, they just started the room edition. Remember when the mailman showed yes. up and then they whisked off to Okinawa? So did he hire some guys to come in and knock out Daniel's room and get it all done? Because they have literally not been in the States to finish the room. Well, see, that's what I mean is I want to see a timeline. How long were they in Okinawa? And if they were in Okinawa long enough to uh, take care of business in Okinawa, but then have a crew come and finish the room at Mr. Miyagi's house, who, who, who was that crew? And how long did it take them? I, I really, I, I think I really at this point, after watching this movie, I'm going to try to create my own timeline as a frame of reference because I want to know how things, how long things took. With or without a timeline, the logic I just laid out, it makes no sense if they were going to do it. Mr. Miyagi's very hands-on. Him and Daniel didn't build it. So maybe someone did come in and do it. But, or maybe it's just a movie thing. Hey, that's done. We move right on. I think that this movie has a lot of those assumptions. Okay. All right. Well, you just got to roll with it. So then Daniel's mother is with Uncle Louie, and tell me what's going on with Uncle Louie, because it's a little over the top, Sal. Daniel's mother is on the phone with Daniel, who's in Reseda, and right over her right shoulder is Uncle Louie with emphysema, laying in a bed, choking, gagging. By the way, it especially stands out because of the era that we're in today, but this guy's coughing and coughing without covering his mouth. There was no covering oh, of yeah. the mouth whatsoever, and he's hacking away, so she's there taking care of Uncle Louie as he's sick with emphysema, and that's it. We don't see her again. No, I'm sad to say. I'm happy that she was on screen. It was her first appearance in The Karate Kid since the original, but it was nice when she came back to Cobra Kai, the show, and Louie Jr. was there. So that was kind of nice. So that must have been his father, who's very sick, that she's caring for. So nice little tie-in there. But we don't know Louie at all. He's grabbing a bell. He's shaking it. He's oh, kind of a bit over the top. The bell. Oh, that made me very angry. So we also learn on this phone call that Daniel's going to college. Now, you're talking about a timeline. And yeah, please make sense of this to me. So in the Karate Kid 1, as they moved out from New Jersey... I'm assuming now that Daniel was a senior. And so if he was a senior, then the first summer would have been, boom, Okinawa. He's coming back here and he's going to college, right? Okay, I can buy that. I can buy that. But Sal, is he over 18? I thought about that. Because if he's over 18, you're not competing in the under 18 All-Valley Karate Tournament. That's what I mean by the timeline. Not only did we not see a high school graduation, not only did we not see his room being built at Miyagi's house, but yeah, he's he's an adult now, isn't he? Then this throws it off even more. We saw him get his driver's license in The Karate Kid. So then that would have been 16, presumably. So he probably is under 18 in some respects and then maybe over in others. And I think there's a lot of... Uh, nuance there and you can kind of follow that any way you want but yeah some things don't add up but again here we are karate kid 3 as a whole some of it just never adds up all right so we also learn on this incredible call with all this exposition what happens to kamiko oh okay that that upset me and the reason that upset me is because i loved karate kid in fact this is where jason and i diverge 
He prefers the Karate Kid. I prefer the Karate Kid 2. I loved the Karate Kid 2 so much. I loved Kumiko. I loved their their tea ceremony. To me, one of the most romantic images ever captured on film, that tea ceremony. And you know what? As far as I'm concerned, they just kind of threw her under the bus. She's gone. Daniel says that she took a dance job in Tokyo. What? Okay. Well, I wouldn't say they threw her under the bus. I would say that they threw Allie under the bus. She wrecked the car. She ran off with this guy from UCLA. I mean, that's throwing someone under the bus. Well... They gave Kamiko... They let her chase her dream. Okay. Let me just say this for the record. How disappointed I was when Daniel and Miyagi come back to Los Angeles without Yukie and without Kumiko. Okay? I said it. We're done. Yeah, you did. You did. In fact, one might say, why come back? <laughs> yeah, for what? Your mom's not even there. Miyagi helped build Yukie a home, spent money on said home. He's older in life. Here's one of the first loves of his life. Hey, you're in paradise. It always cracked me up on the show Lost, if you ever watch Lost. Here's all these hot people in a secluded place, and they're dying to get back to their lives. And meanwhile, take a step back and just enjoy where you are. Take that in. You are in paradise. So Miyagi, yeah, I should have stayed. And listen, Daniel could be with Kamiko and explore Tokyo for a year or go to school abroad or just anything. But they didn't. They came back so we could make Karate Kid part three. <laughs> okay. That was why. That's the big why. All right. So we've learned that Miyagi's low on money and, and the reason why. And now he has no job. And Sal, the first thing that popped in my mind was sell some of those classic cars, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you got a pretty penny there. He's got a few of them. I mean, I know he gave one to Daniel, but there's a few more lined up as far as we know. As a collector, the, the first thought is not sell your collection. That's not the first thought. Well, and then here's typical Daniel. He's young. He gets an idea and he's off to visit a realtor because he threw the idea out there about chasing your dream. And Mr. Miyagi always wanted to have his own little bonsai store or shop. And so Daniel's wheels are spinning and he's going off to visit a realtor to be continued. Well, th- this shows Daniel's heart. I mean, look, look where he's at. Daniel is sacrificing his money for his college education to help his sensei achieve his dream. Totally. But without thinking it through, that's all I'm saying. Heart's in the right place with Daniel always. Sometimes the timing, his methods aren't always on point. Well, later on, he really kicks his own ass about uh, making errors. We're going to see more of that. Yes. I think this trend continues into Cobra Kai, but that's just the character Daniel is. He's imperfect. He's the imperfect hero. As we all are, and we love him. So now we learn that Silver has bought 20 Cobra Kai locations. Sal, where in the (laughs) heck are these? This was amazing to hear. I'm elated. Just like we've talked about on previous episodes, Cobra Kai dojos everywhere. Someone could probably do that now and make a mint. Well, that is a lot of locations. Did he say in the San Fernando Valley? Yes, he did. 20 locations in the valley, which the valley end to end, and this is not counting the hills, but we're talking the valley itself. So from the foothills in, 12 square miles? The valley is 12 to 15 square miles. So in a 12 to 15 square mile area, you got 20 locations? That's pretty impressive. Current Starbucks, probably with Cobra Kai dojos at one time. 
We also learn the plan for Daniel, his master plan. And he goes a little Dr. Evil here about the bloody knuckles because he's calling Crease, and Crease is, of course, in the middle of massage. And he's like, oh, yeah, one more thing. Make his knuckles bleed, right? And he stands up, (laughs) and he gives this big scream. It's like it's just so diabolical. It's just so over the top, if you will. I have to tell you this, Jason, and, and I have to fess up. When you and I first started recording Let's Talk Cobra Kai, and we're on season one, then we're on season two, I still hadn't seen Karate Kid 3. I know. So I did not know how evil Kreese actually was. So when Kreese appears in Cobra Kai, I was willing to give him a chance. Well, you know what? I was stupid. Kreese is evil. And in this movie, you really see how evil Kreese is. Absolutely. So Terry's plan is to really put one over on Miyagi and Daniel, to get him to fight in the All Valley, to hurt him emotionally, physically, wear him down, hurt Mr. Miyagi by hurting Daniel. And then he's going to do this by kind of winning him over. So Sal, some of this involves picking a certain car to drive and certain clothes to wear because as Terry Silver walks around his house besides the butler he's got like an assistant he's got like a number one he's got all these people following him and just doing things yeah and it also shows us that these are kind of his his minions these are his accomplices I mean they know what's happening he is creating this persona almost like a spy He, he wants to drive a, a little cheap car. You know, he normally has a Rolls Royce. He wants a cheap car. He wants clothes that make him look uh, downtrodden or humbled or average, right? Yeah. And the staff is aware of this. What kind of staff is this? Well, he pays him very well. And honestly, you watch the exchanges with them and he treats them very well. So they're happy. They live in this incredible home and they take care of him. And the ruse continues. Here's this guy doing some illegal things, happy he's not getting indicted, and now he's put his focus onto our poor Miyagi and Daniel, which is terrible. So Terry, as always, is going somewhere, and they're giving him his paper or magazine. I'm sorry, here's the magazines you requested, sir. But he had just chosen the car that would be best for this ruse with Daniel, which was what? That is a, a little blue truck. And it's not a convertible. It looks like the top was actually chopped. Yeah, it's a cool truck. It is. It's, it's cool. You know, I would drive it for fun. 1972 Ford Courier. Nice. So he gets in his car, opens up the magazines, and of course it's like a fighting magazine, a karate magazine. And he scrolls through it until he sees Karate's Bad Boy, Tournament Terror. And who is that, Sal? That is... Mike Barnes, played by actor Sean Kanan. And here's a little bit of cool trivia about uh, Sean Kanan. After this movie, he was in a television show called The Outsiders based on the book. Well, who was in the movie The Outsiders before The Karate Kid? Mr. Ralph Macchio. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting parallel. And they filmed that movie where, Sal? Tulsa, Oklahoma. And who directed it? Was it John G. Alvinson? Francis Ford Coppola. Oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway, I've heard of that all, guy. All I've roads guy. come back to the outsiders. So now we have Daniel and Sal. He's got a lease. So here's a 17-year-old, maybe 18-year-old. He can go down to the local realtor and get himself a lease. I love it. 
That's cool. I'll buy it. It's 89. Why not? And what is the lease exactly for, Sal? Well, you know, now that you mention it, Jason, I'm thinking by now in this world, uh, Daniel should be an emancipated minor by this point. Right. I mean, really, he's he's just living his life. I mean, his mom's taking care of some uncle with emphysema. I mean, really, D- Daniel has no parents really during the, during this time, and and that's why that's why the relationship though with Miyagi is is extra special because he fills uh, multiple roles. But yeah, he went out and got a lease, a commercial lease, and presents it to Mr. Miyagi, and he says, "May all your dreams come true." So very special. It really is. Daniel is a giving, generous person, and he wants to reward his sensei with his lifelong dream of having his own bonsai store. It's true. But again, Daniel doesn't really think things out. He flopped down a little bit of money. I mean, how much is college in 1989? So he spent his college money, and he got a one-month deposit, two months rent, and maybe just enough left over to do some renovations. So we're not even talking about that much money that or college and i understand his point i thought it was great that he's like hey college i got to be into it i could just be wasting my time so i want to help you but this was just a nugget this wasn't like i got you that spread and i own this thing it's like i got you two months we got two months to go in there and kick butt and that's great so the stakes are high you know they got to make this thing work so he's super excited to show mr miyagi so they leave dinner because miyagi had made some fish and he's yeah, like, yeah, leave yeah. the fish. It's already dead. Let's go. They just drive off. Let me tell you this, Jason. When when we open on that scene and Miyagi is grilling that fish over coals, oh. I was thinking, I'd like to try that. I bet you that's delicious. Yeah. I was disappointed they left dinner. A Miyagi freshly caught fish dinner? Uh, yeah. Yes, please. Yeah, sign me up. So, Sal... Where they go, it blew my mind when I was watching this. Because again, I watched it last year, I thought, well, maybe. And then this week, I'm watching it and taking notes and really doing my due diligence. So it's at 135 North Avenue 50 in Los Angeles, California. Now, I used to live in a house of which you visited for some outdoor movie screenings in Mount Washington, which is really close to Highland Park and Eagle Rock. Well, this location you would pass on the way to my house if you came via the 134 and take Figueroa to Avenue 50. So if you took that route to come to my house, you would have driven right by Mr. Miyagi's little trees. And for those who are unaware as far as the uh, landscape of Los Angeles, would you say, Jason, that that would be considered east of downtown LA? Yes. Yes. It's like a 10 minute drive to downtown Los Angeles from where I used to live. It's also very close to Pasadena, South Pasadena, all of that. And you can sneak around the backside and go to Griffith Park and Silver Lake and Los Feliz. So yeah, it's right there. I had no idea for the four years I owned and lived in that house that Mr. Miyagi's spot was right there. Now, it's not the same building, I should say that, but there it was, really cool. But in 89 or 88 when they filmed this, it was a very different area much rougher. It's experienced uh, the gentrification, right? Along with yeah. the, many parts of Los Angeles has been gentrified and the building, I understand, is torn down. Yes. So now we go inside. Daniel's running around, Sal, and it really reminded me of Steve Martin in the bathroom scene in The Jerk. I don't know if you remember that movie or not, the Carl Reiner classic movie where Jackie Mason's 
working at the gas station. He hired the jerk, Steve Martin, and he's, he's going to let him live there. And he's running around going, wow, I can live in the restroom. This is great. I'll put bookcases over here. And he's running around. Everything's fantastic. And that is definitely Daniel in this scene. He's overselling it because he's so excited. Daniel gets really excited about things and really, he's kind of manic. You know, and I love Daniel, but he has these super highs and these incredible lows. And in this movie in particular, he's just all over the place. Jason, would you say that this was the beginning of Daniel LaRusso automotive salesman? Absolutely, because he is a born salesman. He's selling me on a place that's full of dust and cobwebs hanging down. And I'm telling you, he's so excited. I'm looking at this place going, yeah you know what? I think he's right. So yeah, he's definitely a good salesman. Back to Daniel rushing into things. Love that he did it. He loves Mr. Miyagi, but Mr. Miyagi lives in a very cool place. Oh yeah, especially the the things that he did to improve it, sure. Yeah, it's like a museum. Well, Mr. Miyagi also could have flipped a switch and just made Mr. Miyagi's little trees at his house. In his courtyard. I know that it's not where the movie went, but I think I would have really tightened my belt and maybe done things a little bit smarter. But hey, this is Karate Kid 3 we're talking about. So you're saying you would have just had a backyard business. Because his place was so unconventional, I think it could have worked. I know it was very taboo back in the day. You got to have an office. You got to have Pacific Bells got to install your phone line. Yeah, I get it. No one wants to have a home business. This wasn't 2020. Or everyone's working at home. I get that. But his was unique. And they probably could have made it work. In fact, a lot of the stuff they're doing there, they're having things taken there. There's trees there. But whatever. It's a cool shop. And it helps put things in motion. And I like that. I do. Well, now that you mention it, in that area in the valley, and and a few areas in the valley, uh, well, actually, let's go back in time a little bit in the valley. There were a lot more orchards Right. And there are still areas, there are still small nurseries in the San Fernando Valley. So you know what? As far as nurseries go, I think you're right. It actually would have been good. Yeah. And that's the word we should use. It's really like a modern day nursery. The Miyagi's Little Trees is a great name, but that's what it is. Tons of trees around. It could have been there. It wasn't like the area they went to was this hotbed place. In fact, all there is is the pottery place across the street, which we'll get into. And the place next to it says for rent. And they're across the street. There wasn't a lot going on over there except for this train, the Amtrak, that would just come right in front. So location, location, location. This wasn't like he was in the heart of it. But that said, it's a cool spot. Now we go back to Terry Silver, and he's doing some dirty business, Sal. And what does he say on the phone? He's telling some guy over the phone to dump chloride sludge in Borneo. First of all, I forgot where the hell, where, where is Borneo? Yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, th- this guy's telling people over the phone to do these horrific things. You just imagine him dumping sludge in some village, probably in, in some native drinking water. Terry Silver is a horrible person. And he's in like a bubble bath and he has his assistant or secretary there taking dictation and then enters whom? Mike Barnes. Mike Barnes shows up per invitation. Mike Barnes and then, in the flesh. And then invited also Snake and Dennis. And who's Snake? Snake is son of John G. Avildsen. Wow. Jonathan Avildsen. Snake with a gold chain. He's kind of one of Terry Silver's thugs, if you will. One of his minions along with uh, Dennis played by William Christopher Ford. So... 
Barnes comes in, does some negotiating. He wants 50% of the Cobra Kai dojos across the valley. And Silver kind of respects the fact that he negotiates and agrees to it, but he has to follow the plan. He has to hurt LaRusso and he has to win the All Valley. No pressure. Because listen, this guy is a tournament guru. There's no way Daniel stands a chance against him. And and he knows it. He leaves nothing to chance. I guess I'm under the impression that uh, Mike Barnes is sort of a uh, national champion. Right. Is that what we're led to believe? Right. Also under 18, Sal. Keep that in mind. Oh. I mean. Under 18. And, and he's traveling around. So, so let me get this straight. An under 18 guy was recruited to go visit some guy in his house. Yeah, uh, this is sounding a little, a little sketchy now. It sounds like it's under 18-ish. <laughs> we're we're going to, you know, I know he's 21, but we'll squeeze him in. Um, yeah, Mike Barnes is actually living there. He's living now with Terry Silver because he's like, Snake, show him to his room. So mm-hmm. that's his place now. Terry, yep. collect, he's a collector. He collects people. He collects things. This is what he does. Yeah. You know, I say it, it sounds like it's sketchy. It is sketchy. This is yeah. horribly sketchy. These so are, sketchy. These are These are bad people doing bad things. All Terry Silver needs is like a cat. <laughs> and he's petting the cat all the time with his master plans. So now we have Miyagi and Daniel gathering trees. And they're at a beautiful location. It's actually the Devil's Basin. But they don't call it that. They call it the Devil's Cauldron, I believe. Yes. By the way, the Devil's Cauldron is an actual place. And it is in Monterey County. Would be considered a central, California Central Coast up above Big Sur. I have been to this area. And next time I will make sure I visit Devil's Cauldron, an actual place. So, you know, when you get into some of the schematics as far as where they are versus where the location actually is, the location for the uh, Devil's Cauldron, actually, California Central Coast, and yet I think it's we're supposed to be closer to Santa Monica, Malibu, for the viewer. Yeah, Devil's Basin's a little bit closer, and and just stunning. It really is. They're doing katas as the helicopter shot just kind of takes it up and above, and that's an incredible view. Great shot. So now we're at Mr. Miyagi's Little Trees, and things are in motion. They're making it work, as Mr. Miyagi and Daniel do. And Daniel comes in with an application from All Valley Sal. And what do we learn? Because this, I have major problems with. (laughs) Okay, so maybe we're talking about the same thing here because obviously Daniel needs and wants Miyagi's signature. Miyagi does not want to sign. But then later on, Daniel doesn't need Miyagi's signature. He only needs his own, right? So I got a little confused on that front. I agree. That is my note exactly for later. My major problem right now is the fact that the All Valley has a new rule. The current champ only has to fight in the final match. Yeah. Listen, this is the biggest eye roll I could ever do for the Karate Kid franchise. This might be my single biggest problem with this movie. That is unfair to everyone. Every competitor, every dojo, every sensei. That is the lamest thing to slap in this movie. I just hate it. As a competitor, no way do you have a seat waiting for champ. No, it might be an easier pull for him, perhaps. But you do not do this. This was specifically done so the movie could avoid 
rehashing what Karate Kid was and some Joe Esposito, you're the best, which honestly this movie could have used some of that, but it didn't have it. So they put this thing in there so they can say, Daniel, if you're in the tournament, you're waiting in the final spot. And so I'm just, I'll never get over this. This really, really upsets me. Well, because the truth is, if you say the champ only competes in the final, effectively the champ is not competing in the tournament. Exactly. The champ's not not in the tournament. You've deprived so many other students of a chance to get there because it could be two new students. It's not necessarily going to be you. And let's go back in time. Johnny had to fight his way there every time. He was a two-time champion, about to be a third-time champion until Daniel bested him. Well, they didn't have that rule in place for him. So I'm sorry. I just think it was lame, and it was a bad story device, and I'll never, ever agree with it. Do you think, Jason, it was maybe an, a, a simple way to guarantee that Daniel will be fighting Mike Barnes? It's, it's a guarantee. Otherwise, we don't have the guarantee if Daniel has to scrap his way to the top again. I agree. We could have gone like a Rocky Five route, which John Abelson did direct. They never actually fight in the ring. It's a street fight, but mm-hmm. with Tommy Morrison and Stallone, Rocky, Rocky Balboa. But then again, as I say that, I realize that Mike Barnes already best Daniel twice in this movie. So it's not as if that's anything new. And I've always said that Daniel's probably good in tournaments, especially against Johnny and the Karate Kid when he was still really inexperienced karate student. But in a tournament, hey, you can score a couple points and you could be a champion. So no, that wouldn't have worked. Barnes was a superior fighter. So I just, it is a way to ensure it. Of course, it's why they did it. And I understand why they did it, Sal. But just as a competitor and as an athlete, it just bothers me. If you can't earn it, you don't belong in the finals. I'm sorry. End of story. And by the way, check their IDs because I'm I'm, I'm going to question <laughs> Daniel and Mike Barnes' age right now. I think they were drinking beer in the locker room this time. Yeah. Maybe they should compete in the over-18 All-Valley tournament. So Miyagi does not want to sign this tournament entrance slip. He wants no part of it, He, which is interesting when you look at it, though, because it was Miyagi who literally snuck Daniel into the tournament in the first movie, literally snuck him in, right? Stole the black belt out of that guy's bag. I mean, let's go back to that. I hate to bring up a, a sore subject. Yep. So for Miyagi to do this about face and be completely against the tournament, I can understand where if he, okay, fine, Daniel, I don't want you to, to do the tournament again. But he was completely about face against, and that I was surprised. Well, he wasn't for him to fight in the first one either until it became obvious that he was going to deal with these guys, face these guys all the time, especially after he sprayed them with water and ran from them at the Halloween dance when he stirred the pot, if you will. But it became obvious to Mr. Miyagi when they went to go meet with Kreese and it was going to be fight here, fight us all, all the time, or we'll go here. So he kind of gave in to that pressure. And then the second one, well, I mean, listen, that was a fight to the death and he was jumped, so to speak. So I don't think Miyagi wants him to go back and fight just for the sake of fighting. So I understood Miyagi's ground on this. Like, hey, that's something, you've already done that. You know, you're not under 18 anymore, Daniel. Put that away. You don't need to fight in that anymore. But I, I kind of side with him on that. There was nothing to gain from it until, much like the first movie, it becomes something again. Well, the verbiage that they used in some of the fan groups were uh, Miyagi does not like karate as a sport. Right. You know, sport, you know, basketball, football. 
he doesn't want karate to go that way. Right. So I would say Miyagi was right on point. He's always been that way until pushed beyond that. And we'll get to that. What you just mentioned about him needing Miyagi to sign it and then inevitably he doesn't need Miyagi to sign it. Yes, I agree with you. That's bizarre. All of a sudden it's like, yeah, oh, by the way, I can just sign this myself. But he also got a lease to a place. So it's like <laughs> on one side, he's too young. On the other, he's old enough to do it. It's hilarious. It's a lot of that. And that cracked me up. How about this, Jason, is you need an adult. If it's under 18 tournament, you need an adult to sign a slip for you. So if I if an under 18 person wants to fight in, in a karate tournament, they have to have a parent or guardian sign for them. But meanwhile, that same uh, 16 or 17 year old can go get a commercial lease without having a parent or guardian sign for them. Yeah, that's how it worked in 89. Don't you remember? <laughs> so now Daniel meets Jessica, played by Robin Lively. And you may recognize her in movies like two great football movies, by the way. She was much younger. Wildcats and Best of Times, fantastic films. And Teen Witch, which I never saw, but I'm sure the youngsters saw her in that. And she's doing the pottery scene from Ghost Minus Swayze, of course, which is great. Yes. And Daniel walks in and, and they have instant chemistry. So Sal, am I led to believe that third Karate Kid film, third love interest, is that what's going on here? If you want to get into some disappointment, I mean, uh, the romance kind of gets killed uh, pretty quickly on this one. It right? does. I mean, they, it starts, it, there's the sparks. There they are. Yeah. And then yeah, look she's what happens. Yeah, she's super cute. They have chemistry. We, I thought, oh my gosh, here we go. We have Ali, we have Kamiko, and now we have Jessica. Sure. And she's blatantly flirting with them. She pretty much sets herself up to be asked out. She kind of hits on him. They have a date, but then we'll see where this goes. So then he goes back over to Miyagi's Little Trees. And Miyagi, like in five minutes, he's created a masterpiece. This guy is incredible with bonsai he's doing a great job he's got the drawing which he's looking at and i'm astonished by what mr miyagi can do but of course look at his house look at his gardens the guy's incredible i don't think we've seen mr miyagi draw before and in this one we see him draw i don't think karate kid one or two we see him draw anything no but also great at that and that's why he went to go meet Jessica because he was going to go to the pottery barn and see if she could put like an embossed logo which i don't even have yet on some things and so we'll get to that in a little while and that was the reason he met her but of course Miyagi kind of pushed him over there knowing there's a cute girl over there and he's excited he got a date but when Daniel comes back he's also disappointed that the application is still blank yeah Miyagi's not having it no Miyagi does not want to sign this thing he like I said he's completely about face against this tournament will not sign has not signed I wouldn't sign it either with that new lame rule. <laughs> no, but that but that new lame rule makes it better for the champ, right? Of course, I know. I'm just kidding. I'll leave it alone. I'll leave it alone. I mean, look, that literally rolls out the red carpet for the existing champ. Yeah, it's true. Now we're back at Miyagi's and Silver lurks around. This is really creepy, Sal. He's like a ninja. And he's there to get intel on Mr. Miyagi. And he doesn't do it when they're not home. He does it when they're there. And he discovers what, Sal, about Mr. Miyagi? Hang on a second. This guy is a billionaire. He's involved in, like, nuclear waste. He, he, has, a, he has a staff. He drives a Rolls. And he's creeping around a house in Reseda. What the hell is wrong with this guy? Yeah, he's insane. So, yeah, he's creeping around. He's wearing these black. I noticed the, the shoes that he was wearing. I, I look at people's shoes in movies. 
He's creeping around in, in what looks like maybe black L.A. gear, and I think they did have L.A. gear back then. Oh, yeah. So he's creeping around while Daniel's getting ready for his date. And by the way, when Daniel puts on this cool uh, red Hawaiian shirt, it's fantastic, and then he ruins it with a sweatshirt. Who the hell puts a, on a, a, a wonderful Hawaiian luau shirt and then puts a, a blue college sweatshirt over it? It, it made zero sense. It made me, made me very angry. <laughs> so Terry Silver's sneaking around the place, and he stumbles upon this box, and in the box he gets uh, all the information he needs as part of his devious plan. He finds information about the 442nd uh, Division, right? Right. He f- sees the Medal of Valor up on the wall. Yeah. He also finds a flyer that has information on Miyagi Little Trees. Grand opening. A grand opening yeah. flyer. Yeah. So he's gathering his, his intel. He is. And then he hides in the chimney, no less. And Daniel and Miyagi have an exchange. And Daniel decides to burn the All Valley application. He says, you know what? I don't need this. You're right, Mr. Miyagi. Burns it. And then just like a cartoon, we, as they both leave, we hear coughing because that was where Silver was hiding, of course. And uh, he's not discovered. And he makes it out scot-free. And that's when I noticed the L.A. gears stomping out the flames at the bottom of the fireplace. Yeah, exactly. So now Daniel goes to pick up Jessica. And this is when we learn that this is not going to be a romance, which is weird. I mean, at this point in time, could have been a guy, but I guess Miyagi's his best friend. So let's bring in a girl, but let's quickly make it platonic because we find out what Sal. Yeah. Okay. So this annoyed me because, yeah, uh, here we are thinking we're going to see another blossoming romance, which, by the way, I don't need a romance. But don't, uh, you know, piss on my leg and tell me it's raining, you know. You you make me think something's going to happen here, and it, and it doesn't happen here. Right away, she says that she's in the process of reconciling with the boyfriend that she had broken up with. The right. guy, there was, a, there was a picture in her shop of her repelling with this guy down a, a sheer cliff, but his face in the picture was torn off. Yeah. Well, that guy, they're reconciling. They're getting back together. She tells Daniel this right away, and what I did like is when Daniel said, okay. We'll go Dutch. <laughs> right away, he's like, we're going Dutch. Yeah, I had to save some money. And she's been there two months. She's pretty much running the pottery shop, but she's also moving. Yes. Okay, so right away, no romance, and she's moving. Right. What, what are you doing, filmmakers? What are you doing to us? But speaking of filmmaking, I love the great handheld or steady cam shot as they cross the street to go meet Mr. Miyagi. That was a really cool shot. It followed them all the way across the street up to meet Mr. Miyagi. He meets Jessica for the first time. Nice little exchange there. And then Daniel's going to give Jessica a tour as Mr. Miyagi goes on his way. Yeah, and Daniel, a very touching moment for the first time, I believe, ever. Daniel referred to Miyagi as his best friend. Yeah, that was really touching. And that's why I don't think they brought a guy into this role because it's like, well, no, he's already got his best friend, so we'll bring this platonic girl and then we'll just make that work. Still weird, a little clunky, but maybe it's too fresh coming off Kimiko, coming off Ali. I will say this, uh, not unbelievable, realistic. We've, we all have platonic females in our life. We maybe have some platonic females in our life. Maybe it didn't start platonically. Maybe we were romantically involved at one time, or we hit on them, got shut down, but you stay friends. So it is a realistic relationship, I will say that. Fair enough. So Daniel and Jessica are talking as they're looking around the place, 
and he starts to talk about martial arts and she's interested. So he kind of pulls a Miyagi here, which I like this scene. He says, uh, he teaches me karate, but sometimes I don't know what he's teaching me. He was like, you know, when you're doing the clay wheel and you're sculpting a pot and he has her do the motion kind of, uh, your hands are, I don't even, how do I describe this to the audience? Think of Ghost and Demi Moore is like running her fingers through the clay. So she starts to do that, kind of moving up and down. He comes in like he's an attacker and it's like a blocking technique. And she's like, oh yeah, it's so clever. And it's a cute moment because you can tell like he's already thinking outside of the box, which comes in handy on Cobra Kai because he has to become Miyagi in the Miyagi Dojo. So you can tell right then and there, this was him putting that out there for the first time. And I like that. I like the fact that he was already thinking that way. When she's showing the hand motions and he's giving the instruction with the hand motions, eh, there, there was some energy there. There was some tension there. Yeah, you could tell. Like platonic or not, sometimes things happen. Sometimes the boyfriend five states away doesn't get back together. There's hope. There's hope that these two have a spark. But then who comes in? Every time... Daniel's about to have something that could potentially be romantic or lean in for the kiss. Boom, something happens. Karate Kid 2 at the tea ceremony, what happens? A hurricane comes. Yeah, right after the kiss. Yeah, and look what happens here. Snake and Barnes arrive. They come right in. They barge right in. Daniel at first was like, hey, what are you doing? We're closed. Thinking that they might be some, you know, weird customer. But no, 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 no. And they have the All Valley application because they know because Terry told them Daniel's not signing that he burned it so go get him to sign this and that's what they have part of part of the master plan is that Cobra Kai wins the tournament thus propelling their fame right and people are going to start signing up at those new 20 locations that's the whole deal is that Cobra Kai has to win this tournament right and this is when we learn that Daniel could just sign it himself Right here. This is the first time we learned that. Like, he's not going to get Mr. Miyagi. They want him to sign it. And Daniel, as we know, is stubborn. He's already made the decision. He's not the Daniel asking Miyagi to help him sign it. He's the Daniel who burned it. That's it. He's out. So he's not going to sign it. And then Barnes goes crazy. Snake pulls him away and out of the shop. And Sal, I also like as they exit, you see a payphone in the shop. Yes. Mm-hmm. Nice touch. A payphone, not unlike the payphone that was right outside the dojo as Kreese was walking into the dojo at the beginning of the movie. Here we are now in, in our era today. I like seeing payphones in movies. I really do. I, I don't know. It's nostalgic. Yeah. I'm old enough to have used them when I was very young. Sure. I like seeing them. Powered by Pacific Bell. <laughs> now we're at Mr. Miyagi's home, which we know in the Cobra Kai world as Miyagi Do Dojo. And they do katas. They're in the yard. It's beautiful. And who arrives, Sal? Terry Silver walks up in, in his chosen everyday man apparel. Kind of a little bit poor posture, just a little bit to look humble. He wants to uh, walk in with an air of humility because he puts on one of the greatest acting performances in cinematic history. Yeah, he's there to win them over and start this whole master plan. They have no idea he's connected to anything. And he comes in. And he quickly apologizes, Sal. And then he shares what? He bows multiple times in respect. I'm telling you, he's doing a fantastic acting job. And he reveals to them that Crease is dead and was buried just last week. Yeah. And they're shocked. Miyagi shows real sympathy 
for losing a friend. Even Daniel is sad to hear the news because they probably hated Crease, sure. But last time they saw him, Miyagi bested him in front of all of the Cobra Kai students, saved them, and walked away. And hopefully that he could figure things out and get on a better path to find out he's dead. Yeah, you'd also feel guilt for what took place. It's a pretty heavy thing. Also, Terry Silver does such a fantastic acting job. He really sells this to Miyagi oh, and yeah. Daniel. They believe it. They believe this guy. There's no reason not to. I'm telling you, he appears very genuine. So in the show Cobra Kai, Johnny is going around for a while thinking he's dead. So I'm assuming that he just heard this through the grapevine, perhaps, through Terry Silver. Because we talked about this back then. Like, is he just saying he's dead? He's dead to him? Like, that guy's dead to me. I think Johnny really thought Kreese was dead for a long time. This rumor reverberated around the Cobra Kai masses, if you will. I would imagine that the word got around. But you can't say that that's why in Cobra Kai Johnny thought that Kreese was dead because a few scenes from now, we're going to be at the All Valley. So Yeah, but Johnny had checked out by then. So maybe he heard a rumor here and there. and you know He was no longer anything to do with it, didn't follow All Valley. So I know, it's weird, but it could have been. We're getting into the hypotheticals. The hypotheticals are that whether or not Johnny found out then and there the rumor of Kreese being dead. And how did that reconcile with Kreese then appearing at the All Valley later and, or what happened after that? I mean, so we're starting to get into the, the hypotheticals. So we don't know where Johnny is right now anyway. No. Johnny is, is where? Who knows? So as the scene ends and Silver leaves, he just gives us a little smirk and you just know, man, this guy. It's such a Kreese thing too. You know, they're one and the same, these guys. Yeah. Fake is one. Yeah. Liars, manipulative. Sociopath. All of that. So now we have Jessica, who's really warming up to Daniel, and she shows up at Miyagi's Little Trees, and she has some mac and cheese, and Daniel's over the moon about macaroni and cheese, let me tell you. Daniel is more excited about macaroni and cheese than commercial actors in craft macaroni and cheese commercials. I've never seen somebody so damn excited about mac yeah. and cheese. And by the way, if somebody offers me mac and cheese, I say, thank you. Do you have any sliced weenies? I need sliced weenies to go in my mac and cheese. Otherwise, no deal. Wow. There you have it. And then just as they settle in to have this great meal, right on cue, guess who shows up? Barnes arrives with Snake and Dennis in tow with more harassment about signing this damn entry form. You know, at, at this point, I'm almost thinking, why don't you just forge his damn signature? Yeah, no kidding. Forge his signature, get him entered, and then you can still keep working on him showing up. Right. And this time, they don't just do some threats and leave. They start to trash the store. And this is just so upsetting. Yeah. Reminiscent of Karate Kid 2 when we see Chosen trash the Miyagi-Do dojo and take that sigh and stab the rules up yeah. there on the Miyagi-Do wall. I mean, very, very painful to see. In fact, there's been a lot of trashing of dojos in the Karate Kid, Cobra Kai world, but this was a business, and we haven't seen this too much, or ever. They start trashing the place, but check out Daniel LaRusso taking on three guys. He takes Dennis out. Daniel has obviously learned a lot of karate since All Valley. When he was in Okinawa, he did very well against Chosen, saved his own life, if you will. And here he is taking on Dennis, who he just takes him completely out. It wasn't even close. It was awesome. So some great moves. And Dennis is not a small guy. And then meanwhile, Jessica hits Snake with, I believe, the bull that she brought over, right? Knocks him down. And then what happens? 
Barnes kicks Jessica in the belly. And right away I'm thinking, I hope she wasn't pregnant. I'm sure yeah. she wasn't, but if you kick a woman just randomly in the stomach, that's where my mind goes. I hope she's not pregnant. Probably should never kick a woman anyway. Don't kick a woman. Or hit a woman or nothing. But this guy hauls off, kicks Jessica in the stomach. Terrible guy. Now he's just the worst guy. He's in good company with Kreese mm-hmm. yeah. and Terry Silver. So the fighting continues. It's just blowing up there right in the middle of the shop. Well, first of all, Barnes puts a beat down on Daniel. So it's obvious that Daniel's a good fighter, sure. But you see right here and now that he's outmatched by Mike Barnes. Well, like I said, you have now a regional champion against a national champion. But what would happen then if you have the national champion against the, the global champion? So eventually Barnes would, would meet his match. But yeah, you definitely are shown that Daniel cannot compete with Mike Barnes. So Sal, thank goodness you know who shows up to save the day. Miyagi arrives like a superhero. He comes in like Batman. Totally. And he has no problem with Barnes. No, no. Barnes is no match. So he takes him out and you can see like, oh, Barnes runs off because he knows he can't fight this guy. He doesn't know how to compete with him. He doesn't know his style. It's very different. Miyagi learned in Okinawa from his father, who was a great master, who taught him in Sato. So he's the ultimate at defense offense. I don't think Miyagi's ever even been hit. Well, if you notice the way that he fights, he doesn't keep a guard up whatsoever. I mean, he, he is guard-free when he fights. He's too quick. He's got cat-like reflexes, and he saves the day. They run off. They jump in this car, convertible Mustang, and then they start doing, like, 360s, peeling out. And so they literally were almost killed by that Amtrak train. They made it through the tracks, and then the train comes through. If that was a stunt... It was a very good stunt and a very dangerous stunt. That was a great stunt. And that must not have been them in the car. Or maybe we don't know who was driving. Was it Dennis driving? Because it could have, their switch could have been there. It could have been a stunt driver. Whatever it was, well done. And it was like, oh my God, that was really close. And scene's over, but it's a very karate kid scene. Destruction. Daniel's hurt. Unfortunately, this time a girl was hurt. And Miyagi saves the day. But we know this isn't the last time we're going to see Barnes, Snake, and Dennis. Oh, no, no, no. They took off, but they did appear uninjured or not too badly injured. They will live to harass another day. So now we're back at Miyagi's, and unfortunately, Sal, it just gets worse. The trees were stolen. The trees they had back at the house were stolen, and Miyagi's like, that's it. I'm going fishing. And Daniel's super upset, and he's going to go to the cops. So it's just like, this is, a, this is the low point of the movie right here. I did think this, though. You mentioned earlier when Miyagi first goes down on his luck after losing his job at the South Seas, you said sell the cars. But my thought of the cars for this night is they came and stole a bunch of bonsai trees without damaging these beautiful showpiece vehicles here. You would have think they would have at least broken a few windshields or, or, or dented the fender at least. Yeah, or spray-painted something. Yeah. It's a good point. But they took the trees, which they know that hurt them because they've already hurt the shop. So it was just enough. They're just trying to push him to get in the tournament. That's the point. So what what do these guys do with these bonsai <laughs> trees that they lifted from Miyagi's yard? What, what became of them? I need to know. It's a good question. Now, Sal, this scene coming up is just a terrible idea. <laughs> and it is... <laughs> yeah. Imagine that in this movie. But it's Daniel and Jessica 
and they're going to get the infamous bonsai tree worth around $10,000 to help save Mr. Miyagi's little trees. And meanwhile, Mr. Miyagi put this tree here hidden and it'll be safe. And the last thing he wants is this priceless tree to be taken from its spot, uprooted from its spot and sold to save the day. But this is Daniel's plan. He's moving. That's what's happening. And I just hate the idea from the outset. Well, it's a dangerous plan. They're going to repel down this sheer cliff with the ocean beneath them, with a rising current. This not only is a horrible plan, I don't think it was well thought out. They should have gone earlier in the day when the tide was lower, yes? Yes. And he did recruit a repeller in Jessica because we saw the photo. So she's actually done this before. Not that that would stop Daniel. He'd figure out a way because he's a fast learner and everything he does, that's been evident throughout the franchise. But I believe, Sal, this is the time to liquidate the cars, not to go get this tree. Then you got to find a seller. He didn't even get Miyagi's permission. Another one of Daniel's plans, just going for it. Consequences be damned. We'll deal with those later. This is what we got to do. We got to do this. And this is his M.O. throughout this entire movie. When we talk about the entire Karate Kid universe, and you and I have uh, thought it would be neat if they went back to a young Miyagi at some point in time on, on Cobra Kai or a standalone film, imagine the moment in time when Miyagi repelled down there himself and planted that tree. That was a moment in time I'd like to see. Yeah, that'd be nice. He probably went alone, and he probably thought, I'm going to put it here and nobody in their right mind will ever uproot it from this spot. But little did he know, his best friend would do just that. Well, the first part is no one really knew it was there. Miyagi planted it there, didn't go around telling anybody, who's going to find this thing? Who's going to look for it? Unless you know it's there, you're not going to go just stumbling upon it. True. So here we are. They're going down, and he's learning as he goes how to repel. There's a couple close calls. But then, what happens? With these close calls, I'm having images of Land of the Lost. It just reminded me of Marshall, Will, and Holly going down into the Land of the Lost. lost. And remember when they first see the bonsai tree through the binoculars? They see a little lizard there. Did you notice a little lizard? And then later on, they look through it again. They see butterflies. Yeah. It's in a very pretty place. Yes. So they start making their way down. And what I was setting you up for was this. (laughs) They actually drop the tree. Oh! They have these two close calls with Daniel slipping, and then he gets his bearings, and then Jessica has a moment right when they get the tree. And then what happens? Of course, the tree tumbles all the way down to the rock below, and it's getting in the salt water. Now they have to rappel the whole way down just to save the tree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. They got to get down to water level. And then they got to rinse off the roots because apparently seawater or, or, or salt water is dangerous for the yeah. plant. So they so so Daniel's freaking out. They, they, they got to rinse the roots. You know, they got to make sure that they, they clean out all the salt water, put it back in the bag, and then climb back up. But they look up at the ropes, yeah. and our buddies are up there at the top of the cliff pulling up the ropes. Of course, I'm talking about Snake, Dennis, and Barnes. Yep. They're back. So they followed them here at the Devil's Cauldron and waited for them to go down for this moment to pounce on them. Okay, 
That's fine. They knew their plan. They would get this bonsai. They would get stuck and whatever. They had it well orchestrated. And I guess they can hear them from above screaming at them because they're down there and there's waves and the tide's going to come in and it could kill them because they'd be stuck. And of course, I love how Snake just throws the application. I mean, it's wrapped up in something and maybe there's a rock, but he just throws it at their feet, which Sal, highly unlikely, but yet I'll go with it. Fine. The gist is what, Sal? What do they want them to do? But sign this application and we'll throw the ropes back down again. And Daniel's resisting. He doesn't want to sign it. But eventually he gives in. He signs it. They come back up. And that's when Snake. So, see, I don't think that our bad guys knew about the bonsai. I think Snake just happened to see it and, right. and, make, and demanded it. He obviously assumed, oh, this is important. This is valuable. Right. So he wanted to basically start them for the signature, steal the bonsai tree, and then Barnes, in an epic moment of meanness and evilness, breaks the bonsai tree in half, breaks yeah. off a limb. Yeah. It's absolutely terrible. And you should have, oh, the, the look on Daniel's face when Barnes broke the bonsai tree. This is where Daniel gets into his uh, kick in his own ass. You know, he's thinking, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? What the hell is going on here? What, what have I done? He was saying that the whole way up, too. Like, I should have just signed this thing, you know, days mm, ago, weeks yep. ago. I should have just yep. gone along. But now I'm in this situation. Mm. Now I'm stuck at their mm. mercy. And then, of course, they yep. pulled him up and then he breaks it. So now he's regretting the whole plan, which, Sal, if you ask me, horrible plan from the onset. All he's done now is taken this priceless tree, or maybe it's worth $10,000, but it's priceless to Mr. Miyagi. And now he has it broken and he can't hide this from Mr. Miyagi. It's no longer worth the 10 grand or so that he thought he was going to raise, he's got a real problem on his hand. This next scene, Sal, is truly heartbreaking to me. As Daniel shows up at Mr. Miyagi's little trees and he has the broken bonsai, he can't hide it. And when you see Mr. Miyagi's face, his reaction is much sadder than even Daniel's. And it's just, uh, it's almost too much to bear, Sal. Oh, yeah. I mean, we don't know how many years it's been, but he recognizes this bonsai tree as the bonsai tree. The. Well, it's the logo for Miyagi-Do Dojo. Whoa, wow. Hello, mind blown. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The logo okay. on his gi in the tournament, the All-Valley yeah, Curry wow. Tournament. Amazing. Okay. Okay. Now it all makes sense. Well, no wonder he recognized it right away. And he makes fast work. It's like Miyagi's a doctor in the emergency room. He goes right into action. He knows what to do. And, it, you know, he's saying if it has strong roots, it'll live. And he actually even forgives Daniel in that moment, Sal. Says a lot about Mr. Miyagi. Man who lives without forgiveness in heart, living worse punishment than death. Yeah. He saw the reaction of Daniel. He saw how scared and sad he was, and he was only trying to help, although sometimes, often, that gets Daniel into trouble. And getting mad now is not going to change the situation. He's got to focus on this, and they have to work together to save the tree. Yeah, yeah. like you said, it's an ER moment. It's emergency act now. And then Daniel gets upset. He goes from being super sad and freaked out to being really upset because Mr. Miyagi shares the fact that he sold the truck and he got some trees and he's like, why didn't you tell me? And then this is that manic side to Daniel that I see, these highs and lows. Just a scene ago, he's beating himself up for not signing the All Valley Agreement sooner. 
Then he gets up and he's screaming at the guys. They break the tree. He comes in to confess to Mr. Miyagi. And now he's yelling at Mr. Miyagi, not a beat later, because he didn't know the plan. You know, this is that instability. And maybe this is all Daniel is a bit bipolar at times, it seems like. This is some heavy-duty stuff he has to deal with. I mean, I don't know at 17 or 16 or 17 or even 18 that I had, you know, the, the, the stakes were not that high for me when I was his age. I mean, his life is threatened pretty much. Yeah, his his, phys- his physical safety, uh, obviously his business, his business partnership. Remember, he is partner now with, with Miyagi right. in this. So he does have a lot of uh, stuff to lose, and the stakes are high for this young man. So I do let him off the hook a little bit for his emotional roller coaster, but he does seem a bit bipolar, I agree. You made a good point, Sal. And they are partners. And I think we neglected to say that earlier, but when Miyagi accepted the lease and he was excited by this idea of making this a business, giving it a real go, he said what to Daniel? He looked at the lease and he said, something missing. And Daniel's like, what, what? What did I miss? And Mr. Miyagi says, your name next to mine, partners. Right. A very sweet moment. I, I, I do really love these sweet moments when people get vulnerable, they open themselves up, they give, they're generous. They offer. I love that stuff. So, yeah, Miyagi invited Daniel to be his partner in this venture that Daniel financed, basically. So it definitely is a partnership in every sense of the word. Yeah, they're partners and we're buddies for life. And I love that we're in this together. When he brings a tree in and he knows he messed up and it's not the best choice, of course, but Miyagi forgives him in an instant. It's great. It's great stuff. And so as they resuscitate the tree... Miyagi revisits the fact that he does not want to train Daniel for the All-Valley. Miyagi is just dead set against him being in the tournament. And Silver's plan's in motion. And Daniel is like left to his own devices. He's going to have to do this because now he signed this thing and he's in it. And so now we cut to Daniel and Jessica going for a jog, working out a little bit. And guess who comes driving up in the old truck? Well, now you you got me thinking here. What if Mr. Miyagi had decided early on to train Daniel? Well, then there goes Karate Kid 3, right? That's a good point. But he did ask Daniel as he connected with him, and he just knew that Miyagi was against it, so he just kept pressing. I'm sure if Miyagi was in and they're going to come back for All-Valley, the plan would have shifted. No matter what, they have Mike Barnes, and they'll hurt him in the tournament. So maybe some of the other nuances or some of the other logistics of it will not be the same. Yes. And by the way, one of many things I love about our podcast is how our personal lives may intertwine. And and right there where Jessica and Daniel were jogging was in Santa Monica, Ocean Avenue Bluffs oh, yeah. called Palisades Park. In my years past, particularly when I used to do marathon runs, that was part of my training ground. I would start in Brentwood, I'd run down San Vicente, hit Ocean, and then run down Ocean uh, to Marina Del Rey and then turn around back. And that was about, a, I think, about an eight, nine-mile route from uh, San Vicente and Brentwood all the way down to Marina Del Rey and back, running along Ocean Avenue Bluffs right where Daniel and Jessica are, are running right now. There they are, running along. Terry Silver shows up in the little truck. So again, this is where you're thinking, they're being tailed everywhere they go. Daniel, Mr. Miyagi, Jessica, they are being tailed all the time. Now, one thing I definitely noticed about Jessica was those high-top Reeboks again. She's jogging in high-top Reeboks. Was that the 80s, or is it just her choice? Those are the same shoes I believe she used to repel down the sheer face. But when Terry Silver rolls up and they start talking about the uh, the sweep of the leg, and he goes, oh, yeah, guys in the 
tournaments, they always fall for that sweep the leg. And of course, Daniel doesn't know the leg sweeps. In fact, he took leg sweeps in the first Karate Kid. So leg sweeps are a great thing. Terry's right. But all fighting's important. So I think he has a plan. He's not trying to make Daniel better. He's just trying to show that, hey, I can I can train you over here and I can teach you some things to win a tournament. And by the way, I have a book on leg sweeps and I'll, I'll bring it by. He knows that Miyagi's not helping, so he's just trying to win his his trust a little bit. Yeah, the, the plan is in motion, the evil plan. The Cobra Kai revenge is happening. Exactly. Now we're at Miyagi's house and Daniel's training when... Guess who arrives? Barnes barges in, ready to fight, very angry about having the police called on him, although he did mention, you don't have any evidence, and maybe he was right about that. So he's ready to go toe-to-toe with uh, Daniel right there, and what the viewer will soon learn was that this is part of the larger plan. Right. So in walks Terry Silver, who bests Mike Barnes right there in front of Daniel. So Daniel's thinking, oh, man, Terry's my hero in here at, at this moment kicking Mike Barnes' ass right in front of me, kicking him out of the backyard, literally kicking him in the ass as he runs out. Yeah. So, yeah, Daniel's standing there like, wow, thanks, man. Thanks for taking care of my uh, nuisance. Yeah, because Daniel gets a shot in here and there on Barnes, but then Barnes just overpowers him with knowledge, with meanness. He's, he's driven, and he's had a lot more tournament fighting underneath his belt, literally. And yeah, he comes in and saves him. He's like, oh my gosh, this guy knows his stuff. He has no problem with this Mike Barnes guy. Much like Miyagi, but Miyagi refuses to train him. So he's in and he gives him the book. He's like, oh wow, thanks so much. So Terry's like this new best friend. Yeah, when Terry arrives, Barnes has Daniel on the ground with his foot on his neck. Yeah, exactly. So before Terry leaves though, he starts teaching him the front leg sweep. And has him do it to him. He teaches Danny how to do it. He knocks Terry to the ground. And he says, oh, wow, you're pretty good. You got a strong kick there. You know, and we know Daniel has some moves, but of course, Terry's just playing it up. Sure. And what does he invite him to do, Sal? He says that if Daniel ever needs it, he can approach Silver to help with his training. At Cobra Kai. It's all different now. It's under new management. <laughs> and... uh He'd love to have you come by. Wow. The belly of the beast. Sal, the dojo that he wanted to join in the first movie. And had he stayed in class that day and made amends with Johnny, history would have been different. Yeah. And Terry Silver is such a wonderful actor. He has Daniel believing that this is not your old Cobra Kai, not, not your parents' Cobra Kai. No. Things are different now. Kreese is dead. I've taken over. I'm going to redeem Cobra Kai. And yeah, Daniel is falling for it. Hook, line, and sinker. Yep. Now we cut to Daniel driving, and he pulls up, and there's Miyagi and Jessica, and they've got all these pots that she's done. And by the way, they're all amazing. They're the logo from the bonsai. That's the Miyagi logo and everything. And Daniel's like, yeah, yeah, I saw this the other day. Those are great, whatever. Hey, can you teach me how to sweep? And, of course, what happens, Sal? Well, of course, Mr. Miyagi does have a wonderful sense of humor. So when he's asked by Daniel to learn to sweep, Mr. Miyagi leaves, comes back with a broom, and starts teaching Daniel how to sweep. Literally with a broom. And Daniel is having none of it. He's out of there. Yeah, very upset. Super upset. We should have a drinking game with how many times Daniel loses his temper (laughs) in, in this movie. 
we would all be quite drunk. So now Daniel goes to the Cobra Kai Dojo. Sal, I cannot believe it. Here he is. Terry Silver says, hey, I'm glad you made it. I got an extra gi in the closet. Why don't you put it on? Hey, I'm the best guy ever. Let's come train together. And I guess for all intents and purposes, Sal, Daniel's a Cobra Kai right now. Yeah, I have a hard time with that. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. I mean, he's not officially a Cobra Kai, but he is being, he's being senseied by the founder of Cobra Kai. So, I don't know. I think there's an, an official initiation to get you an actual membership into Cobra Kai. So I don't know if just being uh, under the tutelage of the founder would, would necessarily officially qualify in a court of law. What do they say? Walks like a duck, talks like a duck. <laughs> I think he's a Cobra Kai right now. Oh, my God. And so I love how Terry's going on and like saying, there's the three Ds of my dojo. Yep. Desire, devotion, and discipline. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll buy that. And then he goes further with his Quicksilver method. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what number one is? Rule number one. If a man can't stand, he can't fight. Exactly. And thus begins today's lesson. So Daniel has to kick the Wing Chun wooden dummy. And I'm telling you, Sal, as much as I've trained in martial arts, I've never attacked the wooden dummy. There's one in my dojo now, off in the corner. My master's like, oh, no, 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 we'll get to that. We're not messing with that thing. That thing is tough and gnarly, and it's not where you want to begin your training. So Daniel begins to kick it, and that's got to hurt. I'm hating this dummy. Because this is like a crude rendering, it seems. It's got uh, cables and wood clamps and metal piping. And it's actually, they put like some sort of gardening gloves on it. I mean, is this the way these things are supposed to look? Because this thing is horrendous. This one looks much worse and gnarly than the one at my dojo. And probably for effect. But still, they're not the best thing to train on unless you really know what you're doing. But... That said, Daniel's very new to this. He's never trained like this. He's doing katas, and, and he's doing work, and he's waxing on, and he's painting the fence, and he's not hitting something that's going to hurt you. And he's struggling with it, but you know, Daniel, he's also very determined, and I love that about him. And he hits it a bunch, and he can barely walk. And then Terry just shows you how advanced he is, because Sal, what does he do to this thing? Terry just demonstrates... And knocks the crap out of this thing. He, he he busts through. He sweeps both legs. And then what does he do? Break through the, the chest and smash the face on this thing, right? So yeah. he shows that it can be done. Much like a carnival workers who show you how easy it is right. you know, to make the ball in the basket or to bust the balloon with the dart. Oh, it's so easy. It's easy for them. So look how easy it was for Terry Silver. He makes it look easy, but it's definitely not. I'm telling you, this, this dummy, this wooden dummy, I can't stand this thing. So that ends lesson one, and Daniel goes home, and he can barely walk out. I mean, he's struggling, and Mr. Miyagi, nothing gets by him. Daniel comes in, and he's kind of spied on him, and he could just tell by the way he's walking, and, and he knows, and he wants to comfort him, so what happens? The vibe here in this scene is almost like a parent who's suspicious that their kid is on drugs. Right. Or the spouse suspicious uh, that their spouse is cheating. It, definitely something right. is wrong here. And and uh, Miyagi definitely sees that. Well, Miyagi wants to help. He's He is eternally on Daniel's side. He sees that Daniel's in pain. He takes this herbal powder. 
Japanese foot powder. Yeah, and you know what? I wish I had that because I have a foot injury right now myself. Watching this last night, thinking, I wish I had some of that stuff. I wonder if that actually works. I don't know what that is. I wonder if that is actually tied into Okinawan folklore. Is that an actual thing or just for the movie? But in any event, I'm sitting here with my injured foot wishing that I had that concoction by Miyagi. We do know that Miyagi is a healer. He does that the hand rubbing yes. together thing. Remember he did it at the All oh, Valley? Yeah. Miyagi does have healing energies about him. So this concoction for the foot, I wish I had this thing. He gives Daniel this concoction, and it definitely helps his foot heal. And so now we're back at the Cobra Kai Dojo the following day. And even Silver's like, hey, your foot's better. You're a fast healer. I like that. So props to Mm -hmm. Mr. Miyagi and his wonderful secret herbs and spices. And now it's our second lesson. And Sal, what's rule number two? Rule number two of Quicksilver Karate. If a man can't breathe, he can't fight. Another true statement. Can't stand, can't fight, can't breathe, can't fight. Good points. And today, Daniel, again, has to work on the wooden dummy. It's almost like he's going to work on the punching bag, but it's like, okay, no, we're not going to be over here. We're going to go right back over here to the wooden dummy. And here he is, and he hates it. And this wooden dummy, as he spins the fake head around, what's on the head? There's a picture of Mike Barnes straight out of the karate magazine that we saw earlier on in the film. Straight out of the magazine, right there plastered on this wooden dummy. So this wooden dummy now represents Mike Barnes. Exactly. And today's lesson is throwing the elbow. And so Daniel has to do it. Throws that elbow against that wood over and over. And, of course, when he goes home later, this time his elbow's in pain. But he doesn't want to bother Mr. Miyagi who's sleeping, although Mr. Miyagi knows exactly what's going on as Daniel tiptoes in the room. It's a classic eye-opening, like, I know what he's doing. And so I guess that foot powder also works on elbows. It's foot and elbow powder. And he puts his elbow in there. And then, uh, and then what happens is Miyagi decides to get up. Miyagi knocks on the door says daniel son and daniel's like oh 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 i, I don't uh, and he, he drops the bowl right is he drops the bowl yes. of water all over yeah. the place makes a mess makes a bunch of noise middle of the night i know you're in there getting high let me in what's going on in there yeah exactly what's going on you smoking the marijuana in there so it's not that he really is concerned because he knows that he's at another dojo he's not sure where and he's coming home in pain so he assumes he's learning karate in a way that Mr. Miyagi never wanted Daniel to learn. And Daniel comes out and barks at him. And, you know, he's sad and mad at him for not training him. This brings Mr. Miyagi to tears. I mean, just not tears like in the Karate Kid Part 2 when he lost his father, but just he's upset. This is a tough moment for him and just very touching. Also, a moment that I don't like seeing, because if you listen to what Daniel says when Miyagi asks, what is he doing? And Daniel responds, extreme situations require extreme measures. Well, where'd he learn that from? Exactly. He's becoming Terry Silver right before our eyes. I know. So that exchange happens. And now we're back to the third day of training at Cobra Kai Dojo. Today's lesson is rule number three. And Sal, what is that rule? If a man can't see, he can't fight. Exactly. And so today's lesson is Daniel punching 
the wooden dummy and right where Barnes's photos at. But punching it is much worse than kicking or elbowing it. What happens is he begins to punch it. As Daniel punches the wooden dummy with Mike Barnes' picture on it, he starts to bleed from his knuckles. Yeah. And now here we are back when Crease was laying down, getting his massage at Tahiti. He's on the phone with Terry Silver, and he says, make his knuckles bleed. Yes. That is a Crease quote, and now here we are, Terry Silver making Daniel's knuckles bleed. Terry Silver knows how to put a plan together, and he knows how to execute it. He even, like, provokes Daniel, like, well, you know what? You want to quit? Because Daniel's trying to throw in the towel on this wooden dummy a couple of times. He's like, fine, I don't deal with quitters. I'm out. He goes around a wall, and you can kind of see him waiting, knowing that Daniel's going to keep hitting it. That's just who he is. He can't quit. And so Daniel then goes one step further at the end of this lesson. And Sal, what does he do to the wooden dummy? Daniel, unleashing his anger, he shatters the chessboards with his elbow, punches through the headboard, just as Silver has had done earlier. And Silver now runs over, celebrates Daniel's achievement, high-fiving, woohoo, you did it. So this is now the culmination here of their training with Daniel just whipping this wooden dummy's ass and showing as much power as Silver had earlier. Exactly. He's a beast now, this guy. Daniel is a Cobra Kai disciple, which kind of is weird because he's making him tougher than ever, which would not be in his best interest to fight Barnes. But I guess Barnes is still far too advanced for Daniel, as far as we know. Well, he is teaching him things. He is toughening him up. But at the same time, he is hurting him. He is harming him. So the suffering is there. So even though he may be able to throw a harder punch or a harder kick, He's suffering for it along the way. And remember, we haven't even gotten to the tournament yet. And he's putting a big divide between him and Mr. Miyagi by training him. And also he's hurt him financially by wrecking the shop and stealing their trees. So yeah, he's slowly chopping their legs out. He's just having his way with them. And I hate it. I hate how manipulative he is and evil and mean-spirited. And, you know, he's in control, complete control right now. I have to say this, and, and, and just because you know all the worlds tie together, Cobra Kai and Karate Kid, and now here we are waiting on, on season three of Cobra Kai to come out, and there's a lot of speculation. Oh, Terry Silver's going to be back, and I don't want Terry Silver back. I do not want this man coming back at all. Just had to say it. Just had to say it. Yeah, probably no good would come from that. So now Daniel and Jessica go to the club. It's kind of her send-off present, if you will. In fact, he brought it up in an earlier scene, like, I got these two tickets. It'd be a good way to have your last night here. And again, just weird. Like, this relationship, friendship is really never fully formed, and it's just weird. All of a sudden, she's leaving the next day, and they're going to go to this club. Okay, fine. But at this club, Silver is there, of course, lurking, and he's putting things together. He's ad-libbing as we go. He didn't go there with Snake and Dennis and Barnes. He went there on his own, and he begins to infiltrate a new plan. And what is that? As the band sings High Wire, the 
band leaders called Glenn Medeiros. Terry comes in with this uh, wonderful plan. He sees this young man getting into a fight with his girlfriend. The girlfriend runs off, or maybe not his girlfriend, just a, a young woman. They get into a fight. She runs off. Do you off. hear what she says? She says, get out of my way, white boy. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I've never heard that and was surprised to hear that and completely forgot about it until you mentioned it. So yeah, very funny. So his plan is to make this guy that he just discovered, Terry just discovered this guy who fights with this girl, make him come on to Jessica right. to make Daniel mad, to then make Daniel the aggressor in this scene, and that's exactly what happens. So this guy comes along, grabs Jessica, and he says, quote, I'm taking her home. Yeah. Daniel flips out, and you know what? I think he was completely in the right and justified in this instance. He punches the guy right in the nose. I'm surprised the guy wasn't knocked out based on Daniel just tearing up a wooden dummy in the previous scene. But this guy falls down, and everyone knows his nose is broken. And then Terry grabs Daniel, and they run off. They hightail it out of there. And, of course, Terry Silver makes Daniel think that he's actually, you know, trying to protect him. Let's get out of here before the police come, before security comes. Let's get out of here. And then they run off, kind of make it to an alleyway. And then Daniel decides to then continue running off. And he runs where? Back to Miyagi? Is that where he goes? Actually, Daniel goes to Jessica's house, who's packing, because he wants to make amends. But just very quickly back to the guy that Terry Silver hired at the club. His name in the movie was Rudy. But do you know that was played by Gabriel Jarrett, who was Mitch from the classic film Real Genius? He was the lead kid, the smart kid of that movie, which had Val Kilmer in it. It was a great movie. And yeah, I was like, I recognize that guy. And that's who that was. Speaking of that guy, as Terry and Daniel are running out of the club, we hear that guy say, where's that guy with my money? Meaning Terry. Terry was supposed to pay this guy to do this little acting job, cost him a broken nose. Of course, Terry doesn't give him anything. Never paid him. Wow. Terry can also be a cheapskate sometimes or all the time. So Daniel's at Jessica's and... He shares with her and he apologizes. He's got this guy's blood all over his shirt. And that's not who he is, his character. And, and she comforts him. She knows that he's upset. He shares about how he feels Miyagi should disown him for how he's acted. And so it's really touching. She, she's there for him. And, and Sal, if I'm not mistaken, is this the last time we see Jessica? So, yeah, this is their last night together. And you know what? Okay, throw out what I said earlier, complaining about there was no blossoming romance. Because what, what we see here is we see a genuine, nice, platonic friendship. Right. And that's okay. No, it's totally fine. There they are at her place. She is being a kind and supportive friend on her final night in town. Uh, gives him some, some reassurance. Uh, lifts him up. Lets him uh, cry on her shoulder, if you will. And uh, he says thank you. And uh, that's it. Yeah, that's the last time that we see Jessica. I'll just say this. It's not a bad thing. I agree with you. It didn't need to be another movie with another love interest. But honestly, I would have been interested to see, just bear with me, if Jessica's character wasn't in the movie and you just brought Daniel's mother in the movie and she was that person, his other confidant during this tough time, kind of rekindling what the first movie was. And we could have got to know her character a little bit more because she balances him out in another way. And I think they could have done that. I, I wish they had tried and finessed that. Just just my opinion. But then would he have gone repelling into the devil's cauldron with his mother? No, he wouldn't have done that with her. And you know what? Maybe that scene doesn't even happen. 
<laughs> but whatever. <laughs> but you need to have a buddy. You, you need to have, you need to have a buddy besides Miyagi. And they didn't go with the love love interest. So yeah, there you go. They went with a, a platonic female friend. And you know what? I liked her. I'm not. Yeah, no, she's fine. The, she's fine. Yeah, yeah. I just want more of the mother. I'm sorry. You know, I think they had a great thing. They had great scenes. They they think alike, and you could see where he gets some of his energy and spontaneity from and you know just more of her would have taken some of the edge off here and there but you're right they would not have repelled together maybe that would have been a solo mission if at all but anyway just a little insight and uh now he goes home to talk to Miyagi and he says some really sweet things here he goes home and Miyagi has repaired the tree sow it's just phenomenal he brought it back to life and then he talks about how the roots were strong in the tree and how Daniel has strong roots. And it's just, you know, really touching moments because you can tell what he feels for Daniel despite his flaws and all of us have them, but he really sees the real core of Daniel. And by the way, I should let him off the hook a little bit. He is just a teenager at this point in time. Mm, Yeah. We're all crazy teens. We all have major mood swings, ups and downs, and the world is just so big for us to conquer at that age. And so Miyagi can just see he's a good man. And I think this scene's really touching. When I was a teenager, a memory of very similar to what you just said, I was once in my bedroom trying to pump up my bicycle tire. And for some reason, it wasn't working. The valve stem was messed up or the pump was messed up, was unsuccessful. But I became very upset and grabbed that pump and threw it at my bedroom mirror. Now, would I do that today? Would I throw a bicycle pump at my bedroom mirror today? No, <laughs> but I did it then, and yeah. I don't know why. We overreacted to things, and that's what he's doing. But it's easy for me to look at this now and point out some of the inconsistencies. But you know, for a teenager, yeah, they're going to have their ups and downs, and Miyagi is very even kill. And I like this scene a lot. And it really changed Daniel's opinion. Like, yeah, I don't like who I'm becoming. He's really sad about what he did to that guy. He's like, that's not me. I'm being rewired. And he recognizes that. But he's going to go to Cobra Kai right then and there. And Mr. Miyagi's like, do you want to go in the morning? He's like, no, because this is Daniel. I'm going to go right now. It's got to be done. I got myself in this mess. I'm going to get myself out. I'm gone. He reacts. He reacts to everything. So he's off to the dojo to opt out of the All Valley and also, I guess, just not be a pupil there anymore. And what happens, Sal? Daniel shows up, which... I think it's odd for him to assume that, like, why would your karate instructor be at a dojo? I know. What was this like? What is it like midnight, one in the morning? Why would he be there? And yet he is there. So Daniel arrives at the dojo and out walks Terry Silver. He's there wearing his gi, wearing the black Cobra Kai gi. And Daniel's trying to say, hey, thanks for your help. I appreciate it. I'm out. I don't want to train anymore. It's at this moment now where... Silver lets Daniel in on the whole scheme. He lets him know what is really going down. He starts laughing, laughing in Daniel's face. Uh, and this is where Daniel's like incredulous at this. Like, what do you mean? Like, what the hell's going on? Out walks Mike Barnes from the rear wing. Uh, and this is where Daniel goes, oh, okay. Now I see what's happening here. Standing yeah. in front of him is Terry Silver with Mike Barnes at the dojo but yet it goes one step further yes (laughs) back from the dead crease emerges and he doesn't just emerge he comes from 
behind his own standee of crease. And he has this great look on his face. He's got his snarl, if you will. And Daniel looks as if he's seen a ghost. In his own mind, he has. And he's terrified, but all the pieces come together, and he is in the belly of the beast, and it's not a good situation for him. He is literally in a snake pit, surrounded by cobras. Yeah. Alone. It does not look good. And it's the middle of the night. So the plan is not for all of them to attack Daniel. Mike Barnes goes in and, you know, kind of spars with him, but he's roughing him up like he did at Mr. Miyagi's Little Trees when he bested him that night. And it's kind of funny because it's so bad that Terry says, do the crane, Danny boy. And they're just Mm -hmm. laughing and laughing and watching Barnes beat him up. And then eventually Daniel just runs out of the front of the building sure. to get out of there because that's his only saving grace. But then Sal's he does that and Barnes runs after him. What happens? Moments later, Barnes is thrown back into the dojo. Yep. And who do we see behind him having thrown him in? Mr. Miyagi. Our superhero. Yeah. Miyagi shows up like Superman, kicks Barnes's ass, throws him back into the dojo, and then is ready to take on both Crease and silver. So Miyagi actually knocks Barnes out. And on the way down to the ground, Barnes hits the light switch and the lights go out. So it's a much darker Cobra Kai dojo as they begin to circle each other. I do consider it the first of two bloopers in this scene, though, Jason. So when Barnes hits the wall, his arm hits the light switches and turns off the lights in the room. However, I did watch the scene twice, pausing both times, and the light switches were actually unaffected. So (laughs) our crew shut out the lights, but Barnes did not officially shut out the lights with his arms. It's a continuity error, I guess. I would say so. I should have been on that set. Yeah. So now I like that it's Crease and Silver circling him, but then Crease says what, Sal? He says, we're old friends. Yes, and he steps up. And it's Kreese versus Miyagi, which hasn't happened since the beginning of Karate Kid Part 2. And that was their one and only time going toe-to-toe with each other. In fact, they met at this very dojo in The Karate Kid. He came in with Daniel, and they decided to fight at the All Valley. So here we are, back to where it all began, their relationship. And Sal, what happens? I don't know why I would have expected any decent fight out of Kreese after what happened in Karate Kid 2. And I was not disappointed because Kreese goes down so damn easy. A couple of maneuvers by Miyagi and uh, Kreese is is down for the count. And he slides him across the mat, which I love. He just goes, flings (laughs) him and he goes sliding across the mat like it's a slip and slide. So great. It was embarrassing. And now Miyagi is about to go toe-to-toe with Terry Silver, and I'm expecting maybe a bit more. And he does these Bruce Lee, and he does his, yeah, mocking of uh, both Bruce Lee and Miyagi, you know, kind of a racist type of thing. Ridiculous. Yeah. And then, well, he goes down easy, too. My God, does anybody know how to fight in in these movies besides Miyagi? No. And when he beats him, what does he do? Then Miyagi gives him the Bruce Lee voice back. Oh, oh, he. So then now he turns the tables and he mocks him. And that was really cute. And you know what? Yeah, Miyagi does have a sense of humor. Remember the time he did the honk on the nose in the parking lot of Crease? And now he does a oh back. So, so you know what? Uh, Miyagi, as spiritually evolved as he is, he will give these little teases and digs. He will. We should point out the fact that Terry Silver goes flying into the mirrors 
-hmm. and they break and then paint falls onto him two cans of paint fall on terry silver and here's the second blooper in this scene when they go back to terry silver again from a different angle only one of his shoulders has paint on and that's the left one whereas just moments yeah. earlier both shoulders had paint yeah good spot and i love how even in defeat they just come off so pompous and arrogant i mean literally all three of them were bested and miyagi <laughs> walks out and it's like oh yeah we're gonna open up cobra kai dojos all over and we're still the winners yeah. and we might even yeah. teach for free kind of reminds me of daniel and uh, cobra kai when he says you know, Miyagi Do Dojo for free. Kind of a little, little touch there, a little, a little tip of the cap there. And it's like this diabolical laugh from Silver and Crease. And Barnes is like, he's, a little, he's still groggy, but he's just kind of sitting down holding his head or something. And then in there, Sal, Miyagi has seen enough and it's time to train Daniel. Yeah, now Daniel asks if Miyagi will train him for the tournament. Miyagi says, hi, which means yes. And so now it is like a Rocky Four training montage, which also reminds me of season two, episode nine, Pulpo of Cobra Kai, when you had Samantha and Tori training and you cut back and forth. Well, that's what's happening here. You're seeing Daniel Miyagi doing katas and training while Barnes is training with Silver and Crease at the dojo. Different styles converging. It's katas on the beach. Cobra Kai sparring. I love these types of things. I personally would rather do katas on an ocean cliff than hit bricks uh, in a building. And But that's exactly what's happening here. I mean, Barnes is smashing bricks with his hands. Yes. After the montage, we're back at Devil's Cauldron. And this time, Sal, what is happening? Well, this is uh, Return It to Its Home. They grab the bonsai they take it back into the devil's cauldron to replant this very special bonsai tree a little comical that it's miyagi and daniel <laughs> we laugh at the fact that it could have been him and his mother if there was no jessica but here we are daniel's done this once we know miyagi's done it once they're not experts yep. as far as we know this is where i realized that this bonsai tree is kind of symbolic of for Daniel like the journey of the tree is Daniel's journey they're kind of symbolic of, of one another even Mr. Miyagi does the parallel when he talks about the tree the yeah. tree choose how it grow so must you choose how it grow and I went back in time in my mind as a young man and even today it's no different really I do believe that in, in the human potential you choose your path you choose your thoughts you choose your behavior you choose the feelings you want to delve into and indulge in uh, and so, yeah, you make the, the choice. And so he realizes now, and Daniel realizes that he gets to choose what kind of man he is to become. Exactly. And then Miyagi says, Miyagi, have great faith in you. Understand? And Daniel steals one of Miyagi's own terms, and he says, Hi. And that's a great moment as well. I really do. I mean, besides them dangling <laughs> over the cliff on the rappelling, I, I love the scene. And yes, what you just said was right on. I totally agree. And this bonsai represents a lot of that. And I have a huge affection for bonsai, not just because of this movie, because what they represent. And I know that you're closer related with them as well due to your brother-in-law. I believe he's a bonsai master, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. 
Matter of fact, I will be seeing my brother-in-law this weekend. I'll be seeing his bonsai garden. And I actually uh, do aim to come back with uh, one or two bonsai trees on this visit. And please take a photo for us. I definitely will. And we could post it for everyone to see. So now we are at the All Valley Karate Tournament. Under 18, maybe. And Barnes is doing a growing shot and loses a point. And he's fighting some random guy. We don't know who he is. But I thought it was interesting right there. They set the tone on growing shot, lose a point, and then he wins a point. And he wins the match. That goes against what we saw in The Karate Kid. You could get DQ'd in The Karate Kid. Dutch gets DQ'd, I believe. Tommy got DQ'd when he hurt Daniel, and then he was nearly out of the whole tournament. So it's weird that now you lose points that was never something that happened right well remember though this has to be this way for terry silver's plan to take place and that plan is score a point lose a point score a point lose a point let daniel suffer when you reach sudden death you're going to be at zero zero and then that's when you win it's a very risky plan i was unaware that it was the all valley way like i go in and i clobber a guy eh, you lose a point and then i score in a reasonable fashion a legal action and i get a point of course, all the new rules of All Valley are confusing anyway. So now we see Snake, and he's sporting this Cobra Kai shirt. Not really even a cool shirt, like this tight yellow shirt. that, Like, there's not a lot of Cobra Kais. I mean, it's just Mike Barnes. It's not the Cobra Kai from old. He's the one student. Daniel was for a hot second. But it's just like Cobra Kai groupies. It's Snake and Dennis, right? Possibly Cobra Kai groupies, but in this instance, I think more of a Daniel LaRusso groupie right over uh, Daniel's shoulder before he starts fighting. When we hear uh, Terry Silver get on the microphone and deliver his speech right over Daniel's shoulder is Garth Johnson. And I saw this kid. I said, who is this kid? Why, Why does that kid look familiar in the bleachers? And that's the same kid that asked for an autograph. The beginning of Karate Kid 2. When Daniel walks out of the All Valley with his trophy and the two little kids run up and ask for autographs, one of those kids, Garth Johnson, that I've previously speculated, maybe Pat E. Johnson's son, or just a coincidence that his name is Johnson. But that's the same kid, Garth Johnson, listed here in this movie as spectator number one, back in Karate Kid 2, listed as autograph fans. So he was right behind Daniel, supporting Daniel. So in that instance, a LaRusso groupie there. should also point out that Pat E. Johnson is mm-hmm. the referee, yep. again, yep. the official. And you have Rick Hurst now takes over for the intros, and he introduces Terry Silver of Dynatox Industries, who then welcomes John Kreese, who is alive and well, and the Cobra Kai Dojo. And he even talks about how the Cobra Kai Dojos are going to open up all over, and they stand for honesty, compassion, and fair play. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not too sure about that, Terry. So then Terry does share his plan, which you just spoke on. Win a point, lose a point. And you're right. It's very risky because anything can happen. It's just, I've never heard of this type of scoring. You score a point or you don't. They would never allow you to do two or three dirty things to have those points deducted, right? You might get away with it once. You may get away with it twice. But then you're DQ'd, man. So, again, this plan could have easily been foiled had the officials been on it. As a a fan of present-day UFC... When it comes to things like groin shots, accidental groin shots, accidental eye pokes, they seem to kind of let you 
screw up repeatedly. I mean, when John Jones, former light heavyweight champ, would fight, he would notoriously poke his his opponents. So when it comes to these uh, illegal moves that cost you a point, it seems like there's a reservoir of how many you can get. Let's not forget the fact that these are kids <laughs> or teenagers. <laughs> uh, this isn't a professional fight. This is an under 18 tournament. This is like Bugsy Malone, where all the kids are like adults now. They're kids living as adults. Yeah, exactly. So now the fight is on, and Barnes is up one nothing. He's got a quick score on Daniel. And then he does his patented growing shot. Hurts Daniel, back to 0-0. Zero, zero. And there's a DQ warning. So I thought, okay, it's good to hear a warning. So it does exist still. So then Daniel avoids a flurry of punches, Sal. So he's, you know, he's hanging in there. He's learned some things. He's getting better at defense against a much stronger opponent. But ultimately, he takes a stomach shot. And it's back to one nothing. Yeah, he was looking really good. He was avoiding a lot of shots. He was ducking. He was bobbing and weaving. He was moving about. His defense, the old Miyagi approach of uh, don't be there when they punch you, he was doing great. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, boom, right in the stomach. Yeah, he got him, but he's doing better than he'd done with Barnes in his last two chances. Mm -hmm. And then at 1-0, I mean, this is about as illegal as it gets. Like a sucker punch right to the chin after the break. It's back to 0-0, zero, zero, but Sal, how do you not DQ this action right here? I mean, that was terrible. Yeah, when there are punches after the bell, I would imagine, that's automatic disqualification. Absolutely. You're not even legitimately fighting within the confines of the fight. You're now fighting outside of the fight. So yeah, you're gone. You're gone. It reminded me of Miguel and Robbie in the All Valley in Cobra Kai. When Miguel really hurt Robbie and probably could have got DQ'd, but it was almost kind of hidden. People couldn't see him yank at his, his hurt arm. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Scene? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of that, but this was a straight punch. I mean, this is how you really hurt someone, much like in Million Dollar Baby. She got punched after the bell mm -hmm. and then yeah. fell down because she was out cold. She took a shot, wasn't looking, and then she broke her neck on her stool, mm -hmm. which is completely sad. But this is what happens when someone's not looking and no one's looking out for them. I mean, Daniel really could have been hurt there. So in my opinion, ball game right there, mm -hmm. but it continues. And this excites Silver and Crease so much because the plan is working. Daniel's taking a beating. He's, ge he's getting sucker punched even after the normal beating. And he's in more pain. So, like, their master plan is completely coming to fruition. And at one moment, Terry and Kreese look over and see Miyagi looking defeated, and they are big time happy to see this. Oh, yeah. Barnes is doing all these kicks multiple times, no scores, a lot of combat, but you could hit someone, but if it's not like a point, the fight continues, if you will. And then the buzzer sounds, and we are in sudden death, Sal. Mm -hmm. Here we are. Yeah. Zero, zero, exactly where Cobra Kai wants. Daniel is hurt. And he's so hurt that he doesn't even want to get off the mat and keep going. Well, then, Jason, let me ask you, since you've expressed your opinions on rules, what are your opinions on sudden death? I have no problem with sudden death in any sports. Overtime or sudden death, if you will. In soccer, for instance, there's golden goal. The first goal in overtime is a winner. I have no problem if something goes to extra innings. or I actually like that. The stakes are really raised at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. very suspenseful. And it's there not to drag on too much longer. Sure. So Miyagi comes over, and he's giving encouragement to Daniel. 
I mean, Daniels doesn't want to be there anymore. He's just he he did all he could, but he knows he can't beat this guy. And I love what Miyagi says, Sal. He says, It's okay to lose to an opponent. Must not lose to fear. Yeah. Great. Stay focused. Mm-hmm. Your best karate's still inside. Now time to let out. Oh my God. That almost brings tears to my eyes. Yeah. And you know, when you add up a lot of what Miyagi has said in this movie in particular all these nuggets of wisdom. I think Miyagi probably kicked more knowledge in this one than for sure maybe more than Karate Kid 2. Maybe even more than the Karate Kid, but he's kicking knowledge in this movie. And then, of course, Barnes comes over and berates him. Like, you suck, your teacher sucks. But he's taking what Miyagi said and letting that kind of run through him. He's not even listening to Barnes at this point in time. And he was right. Barnes is a better fighter, but he was letting fear play a part of that and i gotta say seeing this again last night sal i love this next scene that's about to happen and i don't know how you feel about it right now because we've not talked about it since yeah, yeah prepping for this episode sure but unlike the original karate kid when now's about the time he would get in the crane and get ready for johnny to advance this time he starts to do what sal he starts to do a kata right there on the mat in front of everybody. Everybody's looking at him like, what the hell is he doing? Especially Barnes. Barnes is like, what am I seeing here? And of course, remember, this is what Terry says, you're not going to win a tournament with katas. Yeah, he does say that. You're right. So everybody is looking at Daniel like, what the hell is this guy doing? And Bill Conti's music is starting to come in and it's becoming a classic scene that It's like we're used to. We needed something big to happen here. And I like the way Barnes is also just a bit confused. He doesn't know if he should charge. And and Terry's saying, get the point. Get the point. You know, Mm -hmm. get in there and get the point and win it. That's it. It's it's overtime. But he's he's taken off his game. Barnes is not used to this. Do you think this is one of these moments where you kind of hypnotize your opponent? I've seen it in uh, in mixed martial arts where some of my favorite fighters, I really think some, some of these guys like Anderson Silva, some of these legends in mixed martial arts, at the peak of their careers, kind of able to literally get in people's heads and hypnotize them where the other person is just confused as to what the hell is even happening. No, you're absolutely right. And someone who's so used to things a certain way, here's something he's never seen before. I mean, Barnes, we've already established the fact that he's on the national circuit, if you will. He's fought in a lot of tournaments. He's never seen this. And Daniel, I love the fact that he's so centered and so confident. And we saw some of this with Robbie and Cobra Kai in one moment where he kind of started doing a kata to kind of get recentered. And I love seeing this. It's like a great defense. If he comes in, he's so aware. He's so dialed into the moment, which Daniel taught the young Miyagi-Do students, if you recall. Remember them in the freezer? Mm-hmm. Like Dimitri. Like, be in the moment. Be there. Anything comes at you, and your energy's just all flowing the right way. Mm-hmm. And that's where Daniel is right now at the most critical time. Thank goodness. He's there. And yeah, Barnes is like, what? He's discombobulated. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Yeah. So, Sal, what happens next? Barnes goes in for a punch. Daniel grabs his arm, flips him over, gets him on his back, grabs him by the arm, and gives him a shot to the ribs, scoring the point in sudden death, victorious. Daniel LaRusso wins the All-Valley again. Wow. 
amazing. Yeah, so Daniel now wins back-to-back titles. He won the 84, and now he wins the 1985 All-Valley Under-18 Tournament. Amazing. Only matching Johnny Lawrence's back-to-back championship from 82 and 83. Unreal. Now, I still have issues with Daniel only fighting one fight Mm -hmm. and technically only getting one point, Mm -hmm. but he is the champion under these rules. And in fact... He probably should have been the champion much sooner because Barnes should have been DQ'd more than once. Sure. But yeah, now that you mention it, Daniel becomes All-Valley champion again with one point. Amazing. Amazing. He really earned it in 84. I will say that. He went through a lot of Cobra Kai's. So the crowd's going nuts. Silver and Crease storm off as the crowd is cheering wildly for Daniel. And the movie ends with Daniel telling Miyagi to forget about bowing and gives him a hug. We've never seen Daniel and Mr. Miyagi hug. So a very special moment. Because, you know, normally they bow to each other. That is the tradition. That is how Miyagi trained Daniel, bowing. Which, by the way, I love bowing. I really do. Especially in this era, uh, as opposed to handshakes. But yeah, they go in for the hug, and we have a wonderful long hug shared by Daniel and his sensei, Mr. Miyagi. And their typical Karate Kid fashion, it freezes, and then we fade to black. Nice. You make a good point. Even earlier in the film, when they became partners and they're at the little tree shop, Daniel runs to Mr. Miyagi to hug him, and Miyagi insisted on a bow. So yeah, you're right. He broke his own rule here, which was wonderful. And really quickly, I want to also add the fact that Terry Silver immediately disappears. <laughs> but Crease, he's so mad and they're throwing these Cobra Kai shirts at them. These yellow shirts that Snake's wearing, that Dennis is wearing. But Silver's gone. And we've never seen him since. But that is it. That is the end of the trilogy. But it still leaves lots of questions because Silver is still rich, Sal. <laughs> yeah. He's still very, very yeah. rich. Yeah. That never changed. And what happened to the Cobra Kai Dojo expansion with Crease? Is the fact that they lost the All Valley means it's foiled? Like, really? They could still open up all these dojos. But I guess, is that it for Terry? Like, oh, my plan was so perfect. It was right there at the edge. And then Barnes didn't score. That's it. I'm done. I got other stuff to do. I have countries to ruin. I have nuclear waste to hide. It makes no sense. Well, if you look at this horrible plot, this evil plot, it was up to Barnes in the end to bring that plan home. He did not deliver. I would not want to face the wrath of Terry Silver. That's true. And I just want to bring up this last point. Silver obviously paid the all-valley dues that were due by Cobra Kai because they're in the tournament, right? Yeah. But what did Silver, Crease, and Barnes do to get Cobra Kai banned? Of which Johnny had to get reinstated on Cobra Kai. Was it the strategy that got them banned? That get a point, get docked a point, win in overtime, but then they actually lost? Surely not, because the officials are ruling that. They could have DQ'd Barnes if they wanted to, and they chose not to, much like they did Cobra Kai students and the Karate Kid. So what happened? Because I don't know if that was ever cleared up, or am I just missing it? No, I think this is going to have to go the way of how did uh, Daniel get his room at Miyagi's house built while they were in Okinawa. Uh, it's As they say in the Catholic Church, it's a mystery. Maybe that's a question for Robert Mark Kamen, the writer. 
or even uh, Ralph Macchio, if we get him on the podcast, or Patty Johnson, he might know. But beyond that, really enjoyable film. I actually did enjoy it much more this viewing, prepping for this podcast. Yes, I had some major eye rolls and I take issue with some things, and it's an imperfect movie, but anytime you get to see Mr. Miyagi and Daniel LaRusso, it's a wonderful thing, Sal. They have wonderful chemistry. It's like a perfect buddy picture. I really wish we had even more. Also props to uh, their acting. I mean, these guys are tremendous actors. Ralph Macchio in this role, Noriyuki Pat Morita in this role. Their acting is fantastic. They're so good. Absolutely. I just want to bring up uh, three quick things here, little nuggets here. Uh Listed as dance choreographer, Paula Abdul. Whoa. Yeah, neat. Uh, extras cast. Dancing at the club? Is Pro- that what yeah, that was? I think, at the, I think it's got to be. That's the only place, I think. Uh, extras casting, disc casting. I have worked for disc casting in years past. Nice. And I know you and I have talked about uh, theme songs. What is the theme song of this movie? I believe the theme song is Listen to Your Heart as played uh, at the closing credits. And Listen to Your Heart is by Little River Band. All right. Not quite the same punch as the first two movies (laughs) with the music. But hey, it's a third one. And typically, Sal, the third film in a trilogy is not usually the strongest. In fact, it's very often the weakest. It's absolutely the weakest in The Karate Kid. But still, it's enjoyable. It has its moments. And some of the things continue on into Cobra Kai world and beyond. So it's a must-watch. If you're a fan of... Cobra Kai and where this franchise is going it's an absolute must watch I can't say the same for the next Karate Kid or the remake the Karate Kid we're going to watch them, we're going to talk about them we're going to have podcasts about them because it'll be fun, enjoyable for everybody but I'd say this one is a must watch I didn't say that when we started this podcast adventure I said hey watch the first one because in my heart that was said it all and then I figured Cobra Kai that would just pick it up from there But as we got in there, we realized, oh, no, there's lots of little things that are coming from the second and the third one. So I stand corrected. All three are a must watch. When it comes to this trilogy, there's only one thing I would I would change if I could change, if I could wave a magic wand, I would make Karate Kid two number three and I would make Karate Kid three number two. I would switch them. And personally, because I love Karate Kid two so much. This movie was sort of a letdown after Karate Kid 2 versus it, I think it would have been a better build if you would have had this one as Karate Kid 2 and then build up to 2 as 3. So you would have had them end this trilogy in Okinawa. Right. That way it would have been bigger. They've entered a larger world. Because what we did is we opened up the world and then we shrank the world again. I would have rather yeah. just opened up the world and there we are in Okinawa, there in the, in the beautiful Pacific. So that's the only thing I would have done. Otherwise, yeah, here we are. We reached the end of this trilogy. Thank you, Jason. I really want to give you a, a public thank you. You've, you've taken me on a, on a, on a, on a whirlwind. You, you invited me into this uh, Cobra Kai Karate Kid world and I, I have absolutely no regrets. Thank you. Ah, you're very welcome. Thank you for your time, energy, companionship, and sticking with it as we go forward and continue to make episodes for our fans. And lastly, on your point, if you're going to flip them around, you'd have to take off the beginning of Karate Kid 2 Mm. and slap it on the beginning of Karate Kid 3, which would then be Karate Kid 2, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay. All right, so that's it. It was a wonderful time. We're super excited we made it through the trilogy, and we're looking forward to tackling the other movies, the next Karate Kid, 
the remake of the Karate Kid. I know Sal's super excited about the animated series. So whatever <laughs> that is, we may or may not venture down that path. We'll see. So thank you so much for listening. And please be sure to subscribe to the Let's Talk Cobra Kai podcast and the Let's Talk Cobra Kai YouTube live channel. You can also really help us by giving the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. And for all you listeners that enjoy sharing your thoughts, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, send us a direct message, or post a comment on any Let's Talk Cobra Kai social media platform. We also highly recommend checking out our other podcast and visiting JustCuriousMedia.com.